0: Your hosts, Eliana. Here we are at Driftmark. <laughs> this was a cr-
1: fucking crazy episode. This was this one was nut nut. This was <laughs> wow. Yeah.
0: Wow. It's exciting. I, shit's and getting wild. Shit's
1: crazy. Shit's absolutely crazy. And before we get too far in, because there's so much we want to talk about with you all, let's remind you of our spoiler policy. Our spoiler policy for our House of the Dragon episodes is everything pretty much uh a song of ice and fire fire and blood night of the seven kingdoms the world of ice and fire hell once in a while you might get a wins a winner reference though eliana hasn't finished all of the sample chapters so yeah maybe not not tons not tons i think
0: about what 50 percent or something by now
1: yeah i think you might even be past that probably maybe uh 60
0: i don't know with that said That was an episode. They did that shit on on live TV. They did (laughs) on live TV. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) That was real time. You know, we sent a a camera back in time to the dance. It was the first episode
1: that I haven't watched with you, actually. Uh, You were out of town, out of our town, right?
0: Oh, yeah. It really was the first. Oh, my God.
1: It was really horrible. I missed you a lot. Yeah. Um, Actually, it was... My husband and I both would turn to each other and be like, Where's Eliana? <laughs> like, we just knew this is something you'd be yelling on the couch about. What was what was some of your
0: favorite stuff from the episode? Uh, I think we you and I have some of the f- same favorite stuff. It's really hard to actually pick one scene because it was just so full of bangers, right? Masterfully done, all of it. Like it all fit in well. The characters were
1: really they came into their own. Well, some of them did come <clears throat> into their own in this episode. Sorry, that's Aegon three being made. But uh.
0: Yeah, incidentally that was probably like the least favorite scene. I it was just kind of lackluster. That, that's how I feel. Actually a lot of people yeah. I think seem to feel that way. You know, it's kind of disappointing the way that it, it felt like such a dispassionate sex scene, which I mean, I don't know. I guess I should not be asking for passionate sex scenes between nieces and uncles. Right. So uh the that's that's obviously problematic in and of itself, but <laughs> Yeah, especially, you know, compared to how it was shot in what was it, episode episode four, right? And That had my my blood boil in mm-hmm. that, you know, I was like,
1: yeah, sexy, really gross and I shouldn't like it. And there is some of that here. Like there's definitely there was some that I liked about it. It's not even that I didn't like it, it was just if I had to choose the scenes that I didn't care about. It was that. Yeah. You know, it was just like I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, we get it. You guys are gonna fuck.
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. Absolutely. That was I think I, it's hard to pick my favorite scene. I can only tell you my least favorite, which was that. And it's kind That's of a so bummer because, like, obviously there's a lot of passion between them, which is, again, very strange. I, I like their chemistry. Yeah, yeah. their their chemistry is, like, okay, you know, but it's, like, I, ha- I get the feeling that it will probably be the only sex scene we-, we see between them, right? Because, like, storytelling-wise, with how tight a lot of it is, like, and-, and the scenes that we have missing, you know, the only one, yeah, the only one that they really kind of need to show is the first one in terms of storytelling. And because especially they're trying to take it a little differently, I guess, than Game of Thrones itself, so it seems like they're not trying to show us some of that just sex for its sake, right? In that way. So, I I That's interesting. We might get some
1: like post-coital or that would be an easy way to have had sex and my god, hopefully this gives Matt Smith a break because that man <laughs> has been having sex all season in these in these episodes. <gasps> and it was weird that this is the least sexy for me because as as I talk about and never shut up about Doctor Who. It's weird to imagine (laughs) my Matt Smith having sex. And the other sex (sighs) scenes we've seen him in have been a little, like, the way they were framed were different, and, you know, he couldn't get off the first couple. So, like, that's, you know, that's easier for me to deal with, but this time I was like, Doctor Who, get back in your (laughs) first with your Legolas wig. Jesus, (sighs) Jesus. But we'll talk a little bit more about that later before we jump into some emails of note, some quick housekeeping up top. We will be back this Friday with Bran Stark, Brand 5, in A Song of Ice and Fire. Very excited to keep going on a Game of Thrones with that. And, of course, last week we had that little week off. We put out a His Dark Materials special episode that was unlocked, unleashed by our patrons. And thank you very much, patrons, for that. You can get special episodes every single month, bonus episodes, whether they are about uh, A Song of Ice and Fire, whether it's Fire and Blood or the other various stories in it, or His Dark Materials, or other literature, movies, etc. that we are into. That's at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon.
0: And you just have to pledge to the stranger tier above. And speaking of bonus episodes, we also... Do cover, of course, a Song of Ice and Fire stuff and Fire and Blood stuff. So, if you would like to check out our Patreon bonus episodes, we just released Mothers of the Dragon Part Two, or affectionately called Smells <laughs> <Milks, Milks, laughs> the Dragons. yeah. Part one focused on Rainies and Visenya, the Conquerors' sister wives, and us. yeah, us and uh, Rhaena Targaryen. Uh, just because we have to start clarifying this now, wife, daughter of Aenys, wife to Aegon, but not Aegon II because he wasn't crowned, uh, and also ends up becoming a wife to Maegor and Andrew Farman, but is actually a lesbian. And really
1: married to Alyssa Farman. Yeah, and
0: really married to Alyssa Farman, even though they have a divorce. Spoilers. They're separated. Yeah, and then also Alyssa Valerian. So that's part one. Part two is Alisan because she had a shit ton of kids.
1: I don't know how we got through that episode in one go, too, because we were getting to a point where I was like, first of all, it's too sad. It's really fucking yeah.
0: sad. I was, I really twisted I the, I think you did because I twisted the knife on you, too. I was like, hey, Chloe, listen to this painful thing. Yeah,
1: it was pretty cruel. Uh, that's okay. That's okay. You cried during Brand last mm-hmm. week, so I got yeah. your ass back. Yeah. You got your ass. I'll cry in the next one if you want. How about that? Oh. <laughs> <sighs> That's not a. That's not the only thing we do, though. We don't over only cry. Our Patreon. We do cry though, like a lot. But uh, bonus episodes are fun. We've had a blast covering those two episodes, Mothers of the Dragon Part One, Part Two. I don't know. So far, definitely there's going to be a Part Three, maybe a Part Four, and then the future is open when George uh, hooks up with Blood and Fire. You know, mm-hmm. Part Two Boogaloo. Yeah. Whenever that happens. Yeah. Now the other stuff we do. If you are at our Patreon and you are in the Thunder tier and above, that's $10 and up, you get access, lifetime access, you could say, as long as you don't mess it up, but lifetime access to the Girls Gone Canon private Discord, uh, as well as access to events. Every single month there, we do a brunch slash happy hour. This month is still to be announced. Keep your eyes peeled and your ears, but... We also do weekly House of the Dragon discussions. Our friend Maddie has been hosting them. She's been doing a hell of a job. And they're every Friday, 2 p.m. ET, Eliana Time. And a good time. I mean, last week sounded really fun. I didn't get to participate as much as I wanted to because of work, but...
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we're actually going to reference some of the stuff that was brought up in that discussion today because, I mean, they're they're really juicy and there's some great takes. Uh, but also... There are some great takes from that come in through email or tweet, right? Like this one this one was a banger. Like as soon as it came in, I was like, Chloe, you gotta go look at this latest message we got. I was like, this one's this one's good. I mean, it was so good that I immediately logged on to Patreon,
1: messaged our friend Corinna back and said, I hope you know that I am literally screaming right now. It was it was like just perfect timing for the week. And it's about Helena, my bug child, who I love. (laughs) Corinna said Just a thought on Helena. I think she will know through a dream or through visions, Mailer would die as a child, which is why she actually chooses him to die in the blood and cheese incident, not just because he's the youngest. When her other son gets killed in front of her, she'll probably know the prophecy is still coming for Mailer and that his death is still to come later when he gets ripped apart into tiny limbs. Ugh uh anyways that's all for now keep up the great work thanks thanks corinna thanks for making me sad and then loving me and leaving me like this
0: yeah i thought this was wild you also editorialized a little bit you did make that a little more graphic than corinna (laughs) wrote uh which is i mean i don't know i don't know what to say like my mind was blown with this theory i was like that's good
1: That is brilliant, Uh, especially because I feel like what they're doing with the show is painting some of those grays and nuances, right? And not everything is. And Alicent was mean to Rhaenyra, and then the dragons burnt everything down. Mm -hmm. But it is, in a way, it also is that. Just saying, like, it's not not that, but it's not only that. And that's what this really paints for me, right? That Helena seeing visions means that she might see some of the things coming from the dance. Uh, You and I talked about how, like, you know, her own death Yeah, could she have chosen it? You know, not unlike what Lena does in the last episode, in that she wants to go out like a dragon rider. Maybe Helena thinks I don't want to go out the way that I see happening.
0: Yeah, that's true. Or maybe she's like, well, this is it. This is the best I can hope for, or something, right? Or I don't know.
1: Taking her fate into her hands, at least, where she's thrown. Who knows? Could be Larry's.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Shit, dude. But yeah, I I don't know. I thought it was interesting. It's a great way to. Make Helena's dreamer aspect a part of her character and not just something like really weird or like strange about her, but something that that really, I think, plays well into the story, right? Like we see how they've made Viserys have dragon dreams or just like a singular dragon dream and Mm -hmm. how that ends up influencing his own actions so hey you know when we actually hear
1: him in front of the fire talking about that telling alicent about his dreaming yeah uh baby helena is in her tummy at that time yeah she's prego with her as an
0: ego so
1: (laughs) that's true that's true that's kind of interesting
0: it's also interesting because like you know speaking of which and we'll talk a little bit about how Viserys treats his children from alicent but it shows how little attention he pays to his kids that he isn't noticing that, hey, how interesting that my daughter also has dragon dreams.
1: And it is also, I mean, it's incredibly easy to see his faculties, both physical and mental, have been going, especially in this 10-year time jump. Yeah. He's definitely juggling a lot. And I mean, even when you open at the funeral, it's interesting how everybody at Lena's wake and funeral is, how they're clumped, how each little group is clumped, right? You have Rhaenyra with the boys, uh, Damon is across from her kind of watching. They they play this little cat and mouse game, I feel like, throughout the whole episode of them prowling for one another, which is great, which is why I, I will say it's good it takes so long for them to get down to the beach. Helena is actually right at her father's side. I thought that was kind of sweet. She's right next to him, you know, like his best girl. Besides Rhaenyra
0: Yeah. It, of the three, he's like, you don't suck. Yeah. His second best girl. But best best other child from best child from Alison, I guess. And, I mean, she's she's tender-hearted, right, Helena? So it makes sense for her Mm -hmm. to also be comforting her and the other way around. But, yeah, I mean, the episode, as you said, opens up on Lena's funeral. A lot happens at this funeral. It's a very awkward funeral. It's not... This is a huge scene. It's awkward even starting from, like, the speech. The weird eulogy. (laughs)
1: And this was the first episode they shot of the entire season. Really? So you know, it was the first episode they shot. Hmm. First episode we got production spoilers on. So all of these actors that are stepping into being aged up or, you know, somewhat aged up versions of these characters, they really had to jump into it here, right? Uh, They're starting here, but it's a perfect place to start. The emotions are high. Uh, Everyone gets to really overact it out and figure out who the hell their character is. And Vaymond Valarian is giving this eulogy for Lena. And it is actually very beautiful. He spoke really well, the High Valyrian. Like, I just love the sound of his voice with it because I love hearing everyone's High Valyrian in this show kind of differs. But he starts to lay the seeds that the strong boys or the Valyrian boys should not inherit Driftmark. He keeps saying things like, true-blooded and, you know, our blood,
0: keeping it pure and true. Very awkward for everyone. They're like, what? Why is this happening now during this eulogy? (laughs) Especially Damon, who laughs about it, right? And yeah, it's kind of funny. It it looks egregious and terrible, right? For him to be laughing at his wife's funeral, but he's kind of maybe doing it to take attention off Mm -hmm. Rhaenyra and the children. Diverting, yeah, it.
1: especially because we know from his conversation with Lena in the last episode that he quite obviously knows, yeah, uh, already of their blood and of their predicament. I mean, by the end of the episode, you see him figure out and take care of said predicament in a way, absolutely. I think, though, at the same time, like, I'm not, I don't know, they're setting up those seeds for Veyman. Quite obviously, it's over for that guy <laughs> next episode, so get your Veyman standing in while you can. He's going to mouth off all next episode. He's been in the previews. Ha, mouth off. (laughs) Don't give me any of that tongue, Raymond. But Viserys is probably going to, I don't know. He's not going to live, right? Like, he's not going to, he's not going to live. None of us do. He's not going to live probably, none of us do. (laughs) None of us make it out alive. But he's probably not going to live through the next episode at this point. He looks pretty bad. I'd imagine end of episode, we might see him die eight or nine, you know? Uh, with Nine being called the Green Council. And Veymond does have a point in some aspects. Like, Corlys, obviously, his pride, he's like, no, I'm going down with this ship. You know, Mm -hmm. a captain goes down with their ship, and this is the shipping I'm doing. (laughs) My family will stay together, even if they're not my blood. And Vaemond is like, but bro, they have everything. They have King's Landing. They have Dragonstone. Now we're just going to hand over these Targs our place, too? Like, they they should be Gucci, and I do agree with that. Like they really they don't need more houses. They don't need more homes. They have enough houses. Yeah, they
0: can buy new vacation homes if they need it.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting how tunnel vision we get Corley's being, right? Because you can even see from the f- like front when Rainey shows up in a few moments in this scene with the twins and with Jasiris, and them. like, you can see there's a little tension going mm-hmm. on. Uh, but first, Rhaenyra tells Jace and Luce to go comfort their cousins, Bela and Raina. Aww. Jace is mad. He's like, I don't get to fucking get comfort about my dad dying, but he goes and does it anyway because he's a good boy, which I really love. Uh and I'm I'm really sad because he he kind of has to shoulder all of this. Like, not only does he not get to really mourn publicly for his actual father, I'll get personal with you, he also like doesn't get to explore that side of the relationship, he is turned against, like he's disallowed. Mm-hmm. Right? Ranira has basically told him you're not allowed to feel that, which is obvious why, because it puts their lives in danger. This this is more than just like normal family stuff. This puts their lives in danger. But I mean that's really you're stunting him so emotionally and telling him to keep it bottled up. And he also has to keep it from his siblings. So they have to grow up not knowing this giant secret as much as possible, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe he'll, I mean, Lucerys will probably understand slash know, but Joffrey won't for the time being. Jace has to put this on his shoulders. He has to grow up and be the best big brother ever. He has to somehow be the heir to the throne with all these giant secrets about the throne and about his heritage. It just feels so unfair, you know? The, The bastards getting to, having to grow up early. Like, I wasn't allowed to really chase after my biological father not that my mom ever said you can't but also it was obviously very they didn't want me to i could feel it as a kid yeah you know i think my mom maybe once offered me like you know i could try to get in contact with this family but i don't really know it blah 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 so i don't know i never really felt like i had any sort of any sort of way to get in contact and never any path to do so And Jace sure doesn't.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely closed off from him now. And he hasn't gotten that much support either from his public father, right? I mean, he's there a little bit, but... And and it's not the same for him because he understands... I mean, he can see it, right? He can see that... and, And that's fine. Some of the kids might feel differently than him. But for him, at least he does want to explore that relationship with his biological father, who clearly did also Mm -hmm. want to explore that relationship with them. But uh, uh, he had to, you know, Chris and Cole fucked everything. And then also so did Larry's. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And there's a lot of uh, people who have to hold in that sort of mourning in this as well. Right. Yeah. And you even hear from Luke later. They don't want this. Yeah, he's like starting to—he's learning what death is and starting to process that and what that means and for people to be gone, uh, which is kind of sad because I guess he's the one who who dies first. But um, so at least I guess he doesn't have to live with that sadness. To not be allowed to feel it and also to have no support for it—it's just rough. And I mean that's something Rainier goes through as well, and you can kind of see—it's not the same, of course, but a little transference of like you get you don't really get to feel that grief, I guess, as part of it. And to an extent, even her own grief was cut short when she was grieving her mother because there was the anxiety of, like, does this mean my father will remarry? And then, uh, you know, things like my claim, et cetera, right? And then also, oh, my best friend married my dad, that's something that Jace will probably feel too, in a way, right? Yeah. Uh, they just
1: had to stand there during this Valyrian wedding, and they're about to have two kids that look much more Valyrian than them. I mean, I'm sure there will be some hurt feelings there.
0: Absolutely. I guess at least they're not going through it alone, right? Like, they'll have each other to feel that with, yeah. and then also they'll have their cousin fiancés to be like, mm. Aww. For a bit, uh, yeah, they'll be like, Oh, cousin fiance, I feel really strange uh, about our parents marrying now, and I didn't get to process any of my grief for both of my dads. Yeah, that's kind of something else that feels
1: so unfair, right? Like, by the way, your dad, your other dad's also <laughs> yeah. leaving and never coming back, but I'm marrying another new dad. Mm-hmm. Enjoy that whiplash, Jaceres. It's rough, and like you said, like, she didn't actually get. I mean, she didn't have any option to mourn either. She didn't even really get to say goodbye to Harwin, right? Like, we see that moment where they look into each other's eyes super close when they're saying goodbye, and she almost shakes her head a little, like, no, we can't. We really can't. And he knows, and she knows, and
0: that was their goodbye, which is... Yeah, the closest we get to her being able to express any of that grief, right? Like, it's not shown on screen. It's assumed to be something that's so private that it cannot be shown. She has to be performing all the time as heir to the Iron Throne. And and Damon acknowledges that to her because he's like, what about you? You're not allowed to mourn for your lover when they're together and finally in private. It's uh, It's the first time anyone's thought of her. In that yeah, way. that's true. And it is kind
1: of like the sacrifice they royally make, right? Like this is one of the many sacrifices they have to make for their own emotions. And Jace learns that as the heir.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, he learns that as the heir, as you know, eldest child who's now being parentified a little. But that's well, as not not Rob entirely, Stark. but yeah, he is he is a little absolutely. Like if you're if you're looking at that character journey, you know, having to take care of the other kids. <laughs> Let's send him north and break his honor. Yeah, send him north so that he can uh, marry the wrong person.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Helena, my darling child, is out here prophesying, playing with bugs. She has a spider and uh, she has a little ditty that she says, which is hand turns loom, spool of green, Mm -hmm. spool of black, dragons of flesh, weaving dragons of thread. Hand turns loom, spool of green. This kind of cuts around, right? Like, we're cutting around the funeral and the wake at this point, and her hand snaps closed over the shell that has the spider in it, and then she traps and kills it. And I love this because it cuts immediately to Laris as the spider, which is great because we see him as kind of this mastermind, right? This uh, Geppetto, if you will, (laughs) the the puppet master of this all. And there's also breaking down this as a prophecy, the sewing of war, the looms, right? Dragons of flesh, dragons of thread, very much so makes me think of the people sewing the, the banners for Targaryens, but also the cloth dragon and mummer's dragon, right? That we see uh, the mummer's dragon being one of the biggest things for Danny that kind of, how do I put this, that it, it incites, you know, that doubt, that worry that fear and that paranoia that she starts to have to grapple with. And it makes me straight up think of that fake, huge mummer's dragon for Rhaenyra as well, because that is kind of what Aegon II's reign becomes in a way.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and even that last line of the prophecy, right? It's dragons of flesh sewing dragons of thread or something like that. So it's very, very much that. And as you said, creating those banners and I, I, like this line of hand turns loom, which, it's weird, right? I don't really truly get it, but it's like, uh I, I didn't get it at first, but it's that showing how it all goes back to the hand, right? It's not just Larry's, it's Otto, right? He turns the loom, and from that loom comes out a spool of green and a spool of black, which is kind of fun also when you think about how, in the book, Fire and Blood, these these terms were inspired by dresses, right? So you're also you've got that cloth imagery yes. we, we, weaving into there, um, but also because of the hand, that's what creates these different spools, right? It's about how Otto drove a wedge in this family, that hand that has reached in, and then also there's all that other meaning of loom, right? Like in which uh, he is looming over the war. Yeah, like a giant shadow on the wall. Absolutely. Kind of like, I don't know. Oh. Which someone else we know.
1: <laughs> like Tyrion? Uh, we actually see, too, like in the previews for next week, we see Otto is absolutely taking power again in King's Landing. Interesting. Interesting, Helena, talking about your grandpappy like that. It reminds me also of the the Illyrio and Tyrion meeting where he's watching the rings on his hand. Jewels danced when he moved his hands. Onyx and opal, tiger's eye and tourmaline, ruby, amethyst, sapphire, emerald, jet, and jade, a black diamond, a green pearl. Uh, very much so makes me think of the dance and the greens and the blacks just as Aegon and Danny are starting to be described in the story.
0: Yeah, and I mean even speaking of rings... They have a scene during Damon and Rainier's sex scene, right, in which they kind of z- zoom in on Rainier's hand and the rings she's wearing, and she's wearing three rings, two of which have stones, th- of which one is green and one is black. Oh, yeah. Okay,
1: okay, I have to relook at this, especially uh, then you have that connection, right, of after this, Tyrion looks at his rings and he's like, I could live for years off of Illyrio's rings alone, though I'd need a cleaver to claim them. So hmm. it brings you back to a little bit of that uh, Rego Draws. It reminds me a bit of Rego Draws, right, who gets his rings kind of chopped off and his fingers chopped off later in the war, but also about uh, Rainey's later when she takes off her rings mm. right at the fire with Corley's kind of showing like I want out of the war,
0: yeah, that's almost
1: like yeah, hanging up her her sword, which are her rings here showing her power her rings of power
0: <laughs> absolutely absolutely and also I mean hold on, oh, and I mean the other the other obvious one in which uh rings going on hands, on fingers, right? And I'm sure people already discussed this last week, but of course Viserys losing a hand and how he lost Lionel and now he's got Otto, but it's not quite the same. Otto Otto was the hand that caused, right? That that caused that infection. I mean, he didn't, but figuratively. It's funny because
1: Kim our friend Kim Renfro at Insider pointed out last night on Twitter, too. He's wearing Emma's rings, right? Yeah. Uh, again, the one that we see on her hand before she dies, her little Targaryen ring, he's wearing that ring now, too. And so we see him start to wear that. We see the references to Emma come back and installing Otto again and giving Otto this power is in him wearing that ring again, too, is him, like, falling back into that pattern in
0: mm-hmm. a way. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Of a, of, uh, you know... Yeah, non-rule, letting others rule for you, and he's kind of retreating.
0: I mean, it would be pretty hard to do work and to rule in the state that he's in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's about time someone started pitching it around here. <sighs> I'm just kidding. Allison does a little, you know. Okay, she- Vanyra does a little, too.
0: They-, they all do. They all do a lot. Alright. We saw that Allison did things during the Stepstones War, but Speaking of other things she does, right, she also is, has decided to make her own marriage betrothal between her children, right? Uh, the two brothers, Aegon and Eamon, discuss Helena, how Aegon doesn't want to marry her and frankly thinks that she's a freak. And Eamon is like, Well, I would do my duty if I were betrothed to her. Eamon's like, Yeah, she's my kind of freak. <laughs> he likes those freaky
1: girls, you know? That's I think an so. Alex Rivers, like right there. Yeah. That's- there you maybe you do have a point in this. He's got a tight. Uh, there's so much setup for him, like how he almost the Daemon and Viserys aspect in some ways, right? That he's like, I could have been heir. At least I would have gotten shit done. If yeah, Mom chose me. Maybe uh, too much shit. And I love it. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Like there's so much setup that this little fucker in just five to six years is gonna be in the Riverlands burning everything down. And there's also all this setup for Aegon in the background being um, a lush and only loving the flesh and booze, which whom's amongst us doesn't. He's just getting drunk and treating people like shit the entire episode. And he's so mad at Al Like, it's really funny because he's like mad at Alicent. He's like, how could you fuck this up? We had it so good. All we had to do was drink, eat, be rich, and let the blacks rule instead of us, the greens. Like, mother, how could you how could you miss this?
0: Yeah, which is, I think that's hilarious in that that's his character as, like, the teenage boy, but obviously with a darker twist, um, which we'll get to in a second. But, yeah, he's out here being Jesse Gemstone at (laughs) Judy Gemstone's birthday. Uh, It was, but I guess at a funeral, which makes it even more, makes it even more embarrassing, now that I think about it. And... I did think it was interesting that Aemond is chastising Aegon by describing Helena as Aegon's future queen. Like, don't call her that, that's your future queen. Meaning that even if Aegon doesn't really like, hasn't internalized what is going on here between their family and Rhaenyra, Aemond absolutely sees what his mother is driving at. He sees that there's a game plan and he's ready to go. And. Also, we see Aegon right turning into a darker figure. Speaking of again, our House of the Dragon discussions on Discord this past Friday, our friend Yogi uh, made some great observations uh, when when he joined about Aegon, and he used this term to define Aegon called a sex pest, which is you know someone who just serially sexually harasses women, and that's what we see Aegon doing to the serving women, and it's another side to how the nobles disregard and use the lower classes, which ties into the end of the episode with the servant that Damon kills.
1: Absolutely. You can see that utter disregard that he has for anyone that's not them.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is them,
1: as we see with Helena. Well,
0: yeah, he, yeah, he's like, mm, I don't care for, much for my sister.
1: <laughs> Kristen doesn't really like that Larry's is eyeing his, his queen, queen during the wake. His queen. But Allison shakes it off. She says it's only a look of pride from the new Lord of Harrenhal. Hmm. I mean, kinda. He's really... He's uh, a little jealous. It's weird that the only threats he senses incoming on women are other men that want them.
0: I know, right? Like, absolutely useless. Terrible at his job. (laughs) I, I
1: had hope for him. I really feel bad. Like, I hoped it was just a really... You know, like you always say about Jamie and Cersei, it was a miscommunication. They didn't define their relationship, which they didn't, to be fair.
0: Yeah. No, the miscommunication and the relationship that didn't go defined was the one between Alicent and Rhaenyra. That one, yeah, that too. That one was that the one where they were. Too. she was like, you're sleeping with other people? We were only supposed to do this for duty, but be in love with each other. Corlys gives Lucerys a little seahorse yeah.
1: toy. Oh my god, it's so cute. And tells him that someday, everything the light touches will be his. But Luceris doesn't want that. He says, I don't, I don't want it. If I'm Lord of the Tides, it means everyone's dead. Aww.
0: It's so sweet.
1: It's so sweet. Aw, you will be dead, Luke. Oh god, I'm not ready for that, though.
0: Yeah, don't worry, he won't have to deal with any of that. <laughs>
1: He'll
0: just be Can't dead. Wait. Yeah,
1: don't worry, you'll be one of the dead ones. Yeah, uh, they see how it works, and that's such like a poor Luke. That's such a very sad, hollow thing for your second-born, middle-born child, child to mm-hmm. say, right? Like, no, because that means everyone's dead if I have that.
0: Yeah, like that's how he looks at the world. And Quiles is actually pretty touched by that. You know, he's like, sure, that's not my kid, but that was a that was a cool thing for that kid to say, <laughs> which. You know, there's a way that he could be Lord of Driftmark without, uh, or Lord of the Tides without everyone being dead, and that's if for some reason both Corlys and Lainor decided to pull a J or Mormont, which they will not. But, I mean, hey, if they did, at least everyone's not dead for this. But it, it, that, that idea, though, that for him to ascend means everyone has to be out of that path, right? That, that's kind of what Otto is driving at, but it's not quite the same. And also, it, it speaks to the loneliness of power, right? Like, for example, Viserys is here in this position because they had this huge, happy family, and all of them are gone. It's just him... Damon, even his first wife is gone which is his fault but you know not not just Ceres even like Ned right for Ned to have become lord of Winterfell his brother yeah. whom he loved had to be gone his father whom he loved had to have been gone and I mean if you think about it to an extent that's the plight of for example Aegon V Aegon the Unlikely. Hal Viserys the Unlikely. Actually he absolutely was as well. They had to have councils to decide that shit and even mm-hmm. then they were like
1: he could do the least damage, right? Question mark. <laughs> uh rip <laughs> This is actually like not Luke's fate but Aegon's fate, Aegon 3, right? Like he's yes. left all alone. Everyone's gone and he's left with everything him and Viserys.
0: Yeah. Yeah, very much also as you said, right? That's the next Viserys' fate being left alone, but at least by that time, thankfully he was able to build like some connections. He had his like very hot wife, who was way too old for him, very suspicious. Aww, <laughs> the next generation of grooming. Yeah, what is this, a clamp Isn't comic? A cute. clamp manga? <laughs> <laughs> I've
1: watched this on the CW, I swear. I watched this in Cardcaptor Sakura. <laughs> Grandma Rainey's comes to comfort the girls, and she kind of ignores uh, both Jace and Rhaenyra, side eyes them a little bit but they'll live well not that long but
0: they'll live there's also that tenderness that also like a the tenderness between rainies and her granddaughters just oh so sad but also between amond and jace right there's almost like camaraderie what he wants to reach
1: out but also he knows he like can't and that's what's really sad is because he gets kind of angry right he's angry that he did think about reaching out, and you can see he tries. And then later the fight, and it's like, man, they really, they really pit these children against one another like this.
0: Yeah, it's a combination of that toxic masculinity of like you can't show kindness or tenderness in that way, and we see that manifest in a second, mm-hmm. right, in the scene we're gonna talk about soon. But also, yeah, as you said, like they're they're pit against each other. Yeah, it's lonely. Speaking of loneliness, walks out into the
1: sea. He's in grief at his sister's death, and you can see he just wants to feel some sort of connection to her in the water, right? And above, though, at the same time, Corlys makes kind of a scene, and he tells Carl Cory, go retrieve your patron, <laughs> and I just know, I just know he was spitting in that man's face. You could hear
0: it. Uh, absolutely. A lot of people got in Carl Corey's face this episode poor motherfucker <laughs> he's like what why is everyone so close to me and also also like i don't know about you what do you think like i feel like corley's did not need to be this dramatic about it and that just drew more attention
1: yeah he was drawing more attention um and that's i mean that's whatever right uh, it's for drama i think as well yeah but that said, he does draw so much more attention. You see Vaymond clearly look over. There's so much setup about Vaymond yeah. during this.
0: Great point, great point, which is good that they're they're bringing him in for all of that, for the payoff. Also, I don't know, as you said, right, it's so sad seeing Lainer out in the sea. And honestly, though, the way he's acting is just, it is completely normal. <laughs> that is a completely, like, exactly how I would expect someone who was grieving their sister that they loved to act, and no one was really paying attention because I think everyone else was like, wow, what a completely normal thing for someone to do when someone that they have loved is gone. It's about time someone gets to grieve in this show. Right! Everybody else is
1: too busy trying to, like, murder each other's lives.
0: Great way of showing how Corleys seems to constantly prioritize this performance over the rights and humanity of his offspring, which they have a scene discussing, but it's also sad because, like, Just let Laner sit with his grief, even if it's publicly, because, A, I think that's normal. And he's already experienced a lot of loss, right? Like, he, speaking of people not being allowed to mourn publicly, couldn't publicly mourn the death of Joffrey Lawnmouth. And now to be told, like, you got to rein it in here, too? Just big sad. It's great to actually see them have a connection. I know we really
1: did dislike missing out on so much of what we could have seen of lena but i'm glad that they actually showed him mourning her i feel like that's an important part that he was allowed to like have a personality this episode in general besides getting drunk with carl was also very nice
0: yeah absolutely and i guess now that i think about it he'll have more to mourn right like he'll have to mourn his old life his family and i mean even himself lena valerian's dead
1: we kind of see that even Damon is doing a little mourning in mm. this episode. Some for his wife, some for his family, his familial connection that he's lost. And Damon and Viserys finally get to catch up. Viserys says to him that his girls are the very image of their mother and how, you know, he knows that must kill him every day to see.
0: Viserys is wearing Emma's ring again. He's still grieving for her. And I think that. That makes sense, right? Like my understanding of what people have been saying about grief is it's not something that ever gets smaller. We just learn to grow around it, um, and to grow bigger than it. And that's something that like I'm like really touched by. And now these moments of his series, except it's pretty. He's pretty rude to Allison in a second, which is mean. But like I get it, right? Because I'm still like learning to grow bigger at the moment too. Um. And yeah, I don't know, I just thought it was a nice gesture from Viserys, but also it lays groundwork very well for later of why he's struggling to see Rhaenyra's faults as he talks about that legacy of Emma.
1: There's no reconciliation at the end. Yeah, It's doubtful they will reconcile before Viserys' death, in my opinion. Uh, but there's also something really interesting in Daemon... Always caving to Viserys's, Daemon, come home, I'll give you a job, just come back. But this time, he seems changed. He kind of seems like he won't and can't. And not to mention that there's going to be a huge wedge driven between them in the next episode, which is, you know, Rhaenyra. I mean, he's driving his wedge into Rhaenyra, yeah. sorry, but <coughs> that's also the wedge. The wedge is Daemon's dick being driven into her over and over again.
0: I'm just now imagining, sorry, now I have a terrible image of a wedge-shaped dick, and like, what the fuck?
1: Oh my god. You did this. Oh my god. Like a block of cheese. (laughs) Gross. (gasps) Ah, Damon's dick. Oh, it's blood and cheese. Oh my god, no! You know, there's something else that I noticed in that he said, your girls are the very image of their mother. And I was like, that's interesting, because you just admitted out loud that this is what true born children of someone from your line and someone from Corleese's line look like together
0: <laughs> uh, uh, oops awkward awkward though i i still stand awkward, by like awkward. okay the brown hair is suspicious especially because Renie's does not have her dark hair but i don't know we know Valyrian features aren't always dominant and in real life i think like what darker hair colors tend to or black hair tend to be more of a dominant trait i don't know Mixed race mm-hmm. kids look very different, like even within the same family. Oh yeah. So Absolutely. I'm just yeah, I'm making excuses, but I'm like <laughs> I mean, we all know, but you know.
1: Literally, as stated today, we all know.
0: <laughs> you know, something that else that you were saying in regards to Viserys and Damon, and Damon does seem to almost always cave to Viserys' like, come home, come home. Like I was discussing this with my boyfriend last night of you know Viserys and Damon's interactions and how part of the issue right is Viserys says like oh I made space for you I'd like for you to come home like I want you to come home right but that's not what Damon wants to hear he doesn't want to hear like oh I did this thing for you or like I want you he Damon wants to hear from the people that he loves is I need you I need you to help me. He doesn't want someone to do things for him. He doesn't want to feel like he's being helped. He wants to feel needed. And especially he wants to feel needed by Viserys. That's probably waned in the past few years, but yeah. He's like, I don't want it to be something
1: that is
0: held against me like not
1: like blackmail, but you know, like you could always come home if you absolutely have to as your last choice. He's like, Why don't you tell me like I'm proud of you? you Yeah, for what you did.
0: I don't know. I also, like, I kind of felt like Damon saying the gods have been cruel to Viserys, like, I don't know. I kind of thought that was a moment of kindness between them. Like, it, it, an honesty between people who are close, acknowledging that someone is having a difficult time. I know it's, like, kind of, like, a cutting jab, but at the same time, it's honest. I mean, Viserys is definitely having a hard-ass time.
1: At least someone notices.
0: Yeah. And I think people just want, sometimes, people want... Someone to notice and acknowledge that life is hard and things are unfair for them. And I think, you know, when you go down that, like, it's kind of the core of what Allison is feeling the past few episodes, right? And what bubbles over later, like, won't someone just, like, say or see that what is happening here is unfair? Yeah, sometimes that's all
1: that can, I mean, there's nothing else you can do. You can't make it fair. You just need someone to see it, anyone. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, Alicent is very much pushed to her limit in this. You can see a lot of that. Like, she wasn't necessarily incorrect the whole episode with the things she said. It's just maybe she took it a step farther than I would have personally. Than eyes would have
0: personally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: okay, so listen, so... Damon gets pretty like annoyed at the end of this conversation. He leaves and he goes to take a walk and he passes Otto Hightower. Boo. He's <laughs> like, "Hey, so sorry about your dead wife, buddy," which is kind of, you know, callback cuz what 12 years ago oh, at small council. Damon was like, "Remember your dead wife, buddy?" So, good callback, Otto. Good job. Uh but Damon tells him, "No matter how fat a leech grows, he still wants for another meal."
0: Oh. Sick. I love it. I don't know. It was absolutely petty, and I swear it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love it. The girls are fighting. Presidential alert. <laughs> Rhaenyra is, like, watching all of this and sees it, and she tells her children to go to bed now, despite their protests, and she makes to follow Damon, which pretty much everyone notices. Yeah,
0: very awkward. That was way too thirsty, Rhaenyra. Come on.
1: <sighs> like I said, the the cat and mouse game. They seem to be playing during the whole wake while we... I mean, it's interesting, right? Like, we're weaving in between all these little vignettes of what people are doing at this wake and how they're grieving personally and all these inter-dramas. And in the House the Dragon Built episode for this, they talked about how it was like every character had like a 17-page scene Mm. of interactions in this one big scene, right? Like, we still haven't gotten through this wake. We're so close at the end of the wake right now. Uh, But it was just... Thick, very thick. So I found that really interesting how they actually sewed it, hand loomed <laughs> it all together. <laughs> honestly, they tied it all together. Uh, but her following him kind of is a POV choice too, right? Like they show uh, the camera from different angles of her eyeballing him throughout the, the first part of the episode. Not unlike the yeah. last time. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not unlike the last time when he comes back and they're at the party together. That's an interesting thought that it's kind of staged. Uh, not dissimilar to the party they're at.
0: That's so funny, right? Because the last time was at a wedding and that's, everyone says, right? That's the time you see all your family members at weddings and funerals.
1: We get that awkward Alicent being called Emma moment and Harold Westerling, which bless him, absolutely. They really made him prominent. He's out there doing a couple things in this episode. He tries to correct it. He's like, I will take the Lady Alicent to bed. Your Grace, is that okay with you? And doesn't even try to correct himself. He yeah. Probably doesn't
0: even know he said it. I yeah. He definitely might have forgotten and just been like, "Wait, what did I say there?" And was just like, "I can't deal with this." Which it's very Robert and Liana and
1: Cersei. Absolutely, absolutely. Stinking of wine, he crawled on top of me and whispered her name.
0: Yeah, and it's just kind of like, dang, for him to do it like after everything, you know, that Alicent has been through for him, and like that mm-hmm. she still like does care for him but it's she cares for him and she loves him in a way because they've been together for so long it's hurtful that like after everything she's done for him to disrespect her like that and in front of everyone like how embarrassing all she has left is her pride right and he's not even giving her that it's dehumanizing he won't even look her
1: in the eye on any of the complaints she brings to him and like yeah some of them are Maybe not things he should, you know, nod his head at, but I don't
0: know. The more you ignore someone, the more they're going to act out. Absolutely. He's very non confrontational, and so everything goes awry. Everything goes awry. (laughs) There's definitely a lot of Cersei
1: Robert vibes going on in this episode. Even later, when we get that Laner and Rhaenyra scene where they're both being honest about their marriage, it's very much like the Game of Thrones. Scene with Cersei and Robert that they that was a show-only scene where they wrote in, you know, oh, God, if our marriage is supposed to uphold the realm, ha, 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 this is hysterical, which is a masterclass scene. I mean, it all worked out perfectly. But there's a lot of those vibes of mid-to-late season one going on right now of Game of Thrones.
0: Definitely, there are some echoes there, for sure. Um, especially with some of those iconic scenes that we'll, we'll get to in a second. But first, you know, speaking of... Grief publicly and privately, we get the scene of Rainies and Corleys. I love
1: this yeah. scene so much. It's interesting actually, because you were just at my house the other day and we kind of mentioned in passing some feelings on Rainies and Corleys, and I was saying there's just something interesting about his Tywin-esque qualities that everyone keeps talking about in interviews and how I had never seen Corleys as a Tywin-esque character until how they've portrayed him in the show, and I get it now. Right. He's very much if Joanna was still alive. But at that same time, you can tell that Rainies wants this crown less than he wants it for her, that he keeps putting on her head in their conversations. Right. Like, oh, this crown that was stolen from you. And she calls him out on that, on his hubris, on his pride, saying that maybe the gods are scorning us for it. Maybe they took our daughter because we're reaching for the stars over and over again. And she calls him out kind of on his fake wife guy feminism because it seems like he wants that crown more than she ever did.
0: You know, something that you were saying just now, it made me also think of the way that Rainey's response reminds me even a little bit of Ilaria Sand as she's portrayed in The Feast for Crows. Mm. Mm -hmm. In terms of what she really wants with her family. And it's dwindling, right? Like, uh, they only had two kids. And she's probably not having more based on the age of her kids and and based on what Corliss does in this episode Yeah, also that, a lot of things. Um I do love, you know, like the hey, this this scene is I think I was going to say it's the highlight of the episode, but there are actually very many highlights, but this is definitely one of them. It's just so good. Uh, and also even the way that it's shot when he finally sits down on the chair and joins her by the fire, it's their silhouettes. And in between them, dividing them, it's that fire. It's coming between them. The Targaryens and their own fire and blood is what's dividing their family. Yes. And uh, I, I'm sorry, Like the dialogue is just so good. They, they, I love that they're not trying to like dumb it down you know and they're not trying to change it to feel like more I don't know hip or whatever that they're doing things like I, I pulled out a bunch of lines just because I like them too much and they don't mean anything other than I like the way that they sound of and they execute it perfectly they execute it so authentically but and earnestly of like tonight of all nights let us lay aside this falsehood and also like tis desire for the throne if not for yourself then for the scions of your house like they just they just did it they just were like yeah we're gonna say scions of your house whatever and then of course like those fantastic lines of what is this brief mortal life if not the pursuit of legacy and we are that is the exploration of a lot of this show but like oh my god sorry they're just so good bangers bangers it's Shakespearean as fuck. I mean, Absolutely. they give us every single one of these
1: lines between them. And it's kind of funny because Eve Best and Steve Toussaint are fucking masterclass actors. Yeah. Right? Like, those two in a scene together, no wonder they made us wait on this shit. Because that could bring the house down, those two together. L- um, they know... Ha 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 ha. Ha <laughs> ha, 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 ha 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 Oh, oh, oh <laughs> uh, They know... They know how to command a room. They have great line delivery. They play off each other really well and have amazing chemistry, and uh, it's very sad because you see both of them for who they are, and they're both weary in different ways, and she gives him she gives him an old tomato, and this is pretty big. She says, Name Bela heir, not our bastard grandsons. And he hesitates, which is more than an answer for her, right? He says nothing. And she says to him, you can speak the plain truth as we both know it. Ranira's children are not of your blood, but Lena's are. They are her legacy. History does not remember blood. It remembers names is what he responds, right, as you said. And I have to mention, the Broadway show, Hamilton. Absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: There's, a, I mean, legacy is a huge theme in that, or Veep, right? You know, pick one. Mm, uh, but there's a huge theme of legacy, and uh, it, it, Eliana, you'll remember this. The song Stannis sings in the Westeros, an American musical, musical which is way easier to explain to you than Hamilton. Honey. I watched uh, that Hamilton.
0: Song I make references to the same thing now. I go legacy, but I don't know the words, but then I'm like, legacy, and oh. then I see, I see fucking... Like, <laughs> I see Lin-Manuel Miranda jump off to the corner of the of the stage, and then I'm like, then he says the other things. It's something I about a- seeds yeah. in the garden that you'll never get to see. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Those words. Exactly. Yes. I know it now, Chloe. I know it. Um, <laughs> this
1: is character growth. Well, so, <laughs> I'm proud. You know, someday, Doctor Who Series 5 is going to be under your belt. Is it? <laughs> Look under your chair. Look under your chair. So- the specific line she says, there's a remix of that song, of Burn, the the song for the musical Burn. There is a line in a remix of it, which is called First Burn, which is an earlier rendition. Um, oh. Eliana is into Hamilton enough now, but she's she's not here yet. I'm so sorry, Eliana, for dragging you to this. I'm
0: not, I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to be as deep into Hamilton as whatever you're talking
1: about, but... I've had years. I've had years on you, is your problem. Uh, but so there's a line in it, and the lyrics in the the remix version in First Burn are, and basically if you don't know what happens, Hamilton, Eliza Schuyler, they get married, he goes off to war, he comes back, whatever, he cheats on her, and she ends up finding out, and she has to fucking bear it in front of everyone. So actually there could be some parallels here, uh, that she just like grins and bears it, whatever. But there's this lyric where in this version. When the time comes, explain to the children the pain and embarrassment you put their mother through. When will you learn they are your legacy? We are your legacy. And that's what it reminds me of, right? She's like, they are your legacy. This is them. They're right here. Like, I know you're making big bets on this big fucking pointy ass chair that cuts everyone that sits on it. But we're all right here.
0: Yeah. And I mean, in his ambition, right? I He does lose most of the family. I mean, Bela goes on and has a
1: great line. Bayla goes on to have kind of a, a, a crazy little life, right? She has her baby, Lena. She has Alan. I mean, it's a stormy marriage. She goes on and lives on and outlives them, and Raina too.
0: Yeah, they both do, which th- thank God they do, right? And I mean, technically, in a way, Alan is also not of Ra- Rainey's, right? But that speaks to Corley's own um kind of like obsession right with his legacy as as he he kind of sacrifices Lannister's legacy a little right he even sacrifices them um and his own he doesn't claim them as his blood in that same way right he doesn't acknowledge them as his children yeah
1: he has his own version of Reneering at all in a way yeah if the rumors are true I- of his bastards i mean i think they are yeah, they're definitely,
0: like, his kids. But, um... yeah, yeah. Not Lanor's. <laughs> but... <laughs> and I guess everyone will be like, what the fuck, then, when they show up? And he's like, these are Lanor's kids, and everyone will be like, uh, interesting, uh, based on how they look. Also, especially if Lanor's actually dead by
1: then, it's like, when did he have the time?
0: <laughs> right, absolutely. Like, when did the he have the stones? time? Uh, never. Yeah, like, that He's he's willing to do all of that. And, I mean, to an extent, right? The legacy does live on past them. We remember their names. And by we, I mean Fire and Blood does, right? People remember the stories of Adam and Alan and Corleys and Rainey's, but at what cost? Like, what's the point of the legacy if you don't get to live that life? Yeah,
1: wouldn't you rather live your life than spend your whole entire life trying to?
0: Yeah, but... It, it there's also like this other thing going on where it's like I, I'm not sure if you've heard that saying where it's you die two deaths, one in which your physical body dies, and you die a second time when the last person who remembers you forgets you, right? or when your memory passes from the world. So interesting. but also in regards to the idea of bastardy with the Valerians, speaking of, I mean, the House of the Dragon, right? We've been talking about, like, is Aegon the Conqueror? Is this even really, like, his progeny, right? No one knows or even remembers anymore if Aenys was his blood, right? History doesn't remember blood, and it didn't matter. It remembers the name. And so again, it's like that theme of who gets remembered and who doesn't. Uh, it comes back a couple of ways in the episode, right? And even with uh, the, the servant at the end. And I mean, one of the ways in which history does not, you know, that emphasis on blood for the Targaryens, that's Daemon and Rhaenyra joining themselves at the end. And to an extent, right, as as we're talking about with the Valyrian's house, the, the dance itself is a remembrance of both the blood. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of bloodshed in the dance <laughs> and the names. And cheese. And some of the names and the blood that was shed by those names. And their own blood. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I-, I definitely
1: levitate between, like, g between YOLO, <laughs> between all the cool catchphrases of, like, live your fucking life, right? Like, I think that was such a big theme this episode with Laner getting to take off, uh, even though his entire family now has to live as if, you know, he's dead. And for Renira too, like Carpe Diem, seize your uncle's dick is what this episode's about, right? Just grasp it. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And Renira and Damon just grasping it. Oh my god. Carpe, Carpe. Just like, just
0: the absolute like
1: firmest hand job. Anyways, Renira and Damon catch up on the beach. They discuss, you know, what's been going on and how bad life is. Rhaenyra actually says to him, I loved this, that she doesn't (laughs) believe Alicent is capable of cold-blooded murder, right? Not cold-blooded, at least. So implying she definitely believes Alicent could possibly get dragged into something or fooled by someone, but not necessarily intentionally hurt her. We even see the look on Alicent's face later when she does hurt her. It is regret. It is like, oh, God, what have I done? I love you. Yeah, But... It also really reflects to that episode before the age up where Alicent said the same thing to her dad. Literally the same thing about Rhaenyra, right? She said, like, Rhaenyra would never do that to me, father. That's my friend. Uh, And they both do something on that day that that is said to change the other's mind forever. For Rhaenyra, it's Alicent coming at her with a knife. Rhaenyra has a little bigger of a tolerance for this, Mm. right? Alicent is just, like, lying to me about Kristen Cole or about Damon, I should say, which, you know, but that said, lying to her, that was kind of for her, and it's still a pretty, you know, it's a worrying thing for her, because who the fuck does she have to trust? No one.
0: Yeah, like, Rainier's lie is what left her completely isolated, and again, as we were saying earlier, loneliness, Um, but- Though Alicent
1: coming at her with a dagger definitely leaves something- yeah, something to it.
0: She's like, I guess maybe Allison could, but technically that was not in cold blood. That was technically a very, very hot blooded moment. Such a hot blooded moment. And you know, I do, I same as you. I love that Rhaenyra defends Allison here, not just, you know, not just a as you said, right? It, it it's that brilliant mirror to Allison saying it to her father. But oh, well, not just that, but like she used to defend Rainiera, saying that she'd be a good queen. You know, if I'm not mistaken. From my memory of Fire and Blood, and I'm sorry if I'm wrong, but I don't think Alicent does murder anyone in cold blood, Um, Mm -hmm. nor does she necessarily order, if I'm not mistaken, any of the murders in cold blood throughout the dance, though she did raise children who were in fact very comfortable with doing that, but part of me is wondering if maybe they'll take that in a different direction based on her saying, like, to Larry's, I might have need of you. But mm-hmm. as far as I know, the Alicent that uh, we saw in Fire and Blood and that we're seeing here isn't doesn't do that. Uh, she just kind of you know doesn't really punish anyone for doing it, as we see in regards to Lyrae and Aeronol. But regarding people who are capable of further depravity, right? Because Damon says, "I think that everyone has it in them to have that depravity," and I have absolutely <laughs> butchered that line. That was also well written, but. I mean, that is exactly Rhaenyra's storyline with Damon throughout, right? Uh, as he kind of encourages and, and nurtures Rhaenyra's worst impulses. And, and even later on, when he kind of tries to curb them, then Corleys becomes that, right? Starts more and more um, exploring that. But at the same time, I think, you know, the driving force, as you said, right? Like both of them, it occurs in that same episode. The person who kind of drives that depravity in Alicent is very much Rhaenyra. Same as Rhaenyra, the person that drives that depravity in Allison is Rhaenyra. Same as for Rhaenyra, Allison kind of catalyzes that for her, right? I think it, it's a great choice i have written them as close and intertwined and friends at the beginning because they both end up engendering that change in one another.
1: Mm-hmm. And you see Otto being such a, a driver of that. Again, the hand looms, as we said, or the hand sews. Because like he said to her, this episode, he says, uh, and it's just like emotional abuse text or whatever from him. I didn't believe you had any of this in you. He drives her further. He's like, finally, wow, like, I didn't think I'd ever see you act like this. I kind of liked it. She's like, holy shit, my dad has finally cared about me. And she's put in between these two ideas once more. Uh, you see how she's just going to be driven further into it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I like how you called it out as um, an emotional abuse because he is, he's the reason she's so isolated, right? Because he tears apart any of the real connections she had. She finally gets her dad's approval. Uh, she, when he comes in, she's like stealing herself like he's about to fucking chew me out again or make me do something horrendous that I don't want to do. It's the same cycle of abuse she passes down to her children.
1: Yeah, you see that kind of just right alongside one another. I mean, that's why the kids are so volatile
0: later on. Absolutely, they are. In fact, very volatile. Uh, yeah, she did not raise them to be functional people. (laughs) She was. I mean, she's a barely functioning person, so understandable.
1: Understandably so. She's kind of just like compartmentalizing and doing what she has to do to get through. We got beach sex. You know, it used to be boat sex in the old <laughs> series for Boat Babby. Oh my now God. we got beach sex and beach babby. Aegon three being conceived in the sand. <clears throat> kind of says a lot, you know. <laughs> it's coarse and it gets everywhere.
0: Uh, yeah, that's true, actually.
1: It is true. I like the dialogue of it all. I thought there was something interesting. Maybe I'll take this out. But Eliana, I don't know if you noticed. Uh, There's this... There's multiple times where rhaenyra insists that she's no longer a child and there's something in a novel that we've read by philip pullman where oh my god the main character and several other characters insist over time in the novel that the main character is not a child anymore and then uses it to kind of validate a relationship that may or may not happen we don't know it hasn't happened yet and whatever i'm I'm not here to discuss whether i like it or not or whatever but it's interesting because it's doing the exact opposite similar thing though here in that rhaenyra is you know she's justifying she's like i'm no longer a child you can fuck me now like it's normal you can fuck me your niece now instead i've been waiting forever (laughs) and she tells him you abandoned me she feels like she was abandoned by him which he says i spared you Uh, but i thought that insistence of her no longer being a child was interesting to me.
0: Yeah. Framing-wise. It is interesting framing-wise, right? Because, like, it acknowledges that he did want her when she was a child, and it's like, bruh, what the fuck? And- Well, that and the special gifts and the special
1: treatment, and she was already isolated at court, and him, you know, uh, in the books, we don't get a lot of this in, in the show, obviously, because the time skips around, but it said He came back to King's Landing, and- went on special dragon rides with her all over to Dragonstone and back, and brought her very special gifts. And, you know, from a young age up, he was doing those things and having these secret jokes, and they spoke in Valyrian here. Uh, There's something about it, you know, she was very isolated. This is her only real romantic experience, outside of Harwin and Kristen now. Thankfully she got a, a few others, but that was her only experience until then.
0: That's true. And I mean that that probably messes someone up.
1: Uh, yeah, especially when it's your uncle.
0: Yeah. I mean as has been discussed right it, it definitely is like something that should be discussed in the context of grooming and yeah, but also you know like what do you do? Like they're Targaryens and they just the show has also been like I don't know, this is definitely abuse and grooming but they're like What do we do? This is what the story is at the same time. And I love that, though. I love
1: that they're leaning into that in some aspects. And I also I mean, this is the thing. The episode four. Was it episode four?
0: Yeah, I yeah, I think so. Oh, my God.
1: Where am I now in this season? I know. Where is the time gone? Episode four, you know, it was sexy. It was exciting. It was exhilarating. We all wanted to feel that excitement. Like it was the first time Rhaenyra felt free. Got that pussy tingle feeling. She's just like, let's go, we're in the streets and we're wild. I've never gotten to be wild. Uh, and even they're making out and everything, it was sexy, it was on fire. And I wasn't I was actually delightfully creeped out and turned on by this scene.
0: In like, season sex. four it actually. Or in no, that sorry, season in episode in, four.
1: In, in episode seven, like this oh. scene. Like it was weird because I was grossed out. I don't know what it was. I I, I like their chemistry together. But I was also grossed out in a way, like, skeeved out. But also, I loved
0: it. Like, I was, like, sexily skeeved out. Is that weird? Is that a feeling? I'm starting to wonder if that's maybe intentional, because people are saying that they were disappointed by that sex scene. But maybe that's an intentional choice now that I think about it. Like, because it is supposed to be uncomfortable, right? Like, is that why? Like, it was such a weird, uncomfortable scene, because they didn't want it to be sexy.
1: It kind of feels that way, because I think their wedding was very beautiful and sexy. At the end, like there was definitely except
0: like, for the, it, kids. the blood and
1: the well the kids that was a little you know but besides the witnesses being there uh, yeah. it, it was like the actual ritual of it and obviously them looking at one another and etc I mean no it's less sexy when you remember they brought the cousins and the kids and the maester to the sexy blood ritual wedding Okay, maybe that's not as sexy, but it was sexy otherwise. Like when you just frame in and the bajillion orange and red and yellow candles and uh, the headdress, and we'll talk about this soon. Yeah. So don't skip ahead. It's everyone passionate. But, yeah, it's definitely a passionate scene. Yeah. Yeah, and where this was passionate, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's sad, and right afterwards too. There's that moment where Damon gets up and he's gone. And he's just out at the beach looking out, but you see her immediately stand up and look around for him and immediately get up and go to find him. Sad. Uh, and you see that her abandonment issues, like they're there, they are there. And you know that she feels so isolated and she felt so alone. And
0: yeah, it, it's he, he's like a drug for her in a way. That's a great call out though, regarding those abandonment issues, because that is essentially... Uh... Part of what starts again driving that depravity in Rhaenyra mm-hmm. as she gets old, older, like as the dance, uh, as the dance deepens, progresses. yeah, yeah, progresses, and also like that first abandonment is in many ways, right? It, yeah, it's Damon, but it's also Alicent. um, and yeah, like a, that, that's a great call out of her looking around and even why she. I mean, you start to see glimpses of it last episode when she orders Lainor to stay, Um, but also in regards to Harbin, right? Like she, she's like, I should have never let him go back to the Riverlands. That's part of it too. She's Mm -hmm. like, I let him go, and he's gone forever. I mean, that's what drives her throughout the whole dance. Like you said, look at how she holds Joff
1: to her. She won't let him go. He's like, what if I go get my dragon mom? I can fix this. I can go help us. And she won't let him, and he sneaks out, and he does it anyway. That self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And even before this, she starts talking about how she believes in the curse of Heron Hall, right? And she believes, Damon's like, that's silly. That's very silly of you. There's no way. And she's like, no, it's at its, at its peak. Heron's castle is literally evil. Like, it's swallowed it. And it reminds me of Danny a little bit, right? Like growing up with dreams that came true and feeling like she's seeing the truth of the world and how it's working. And Rhaenyra too, in a way. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. I also, also, my my final thought on this part of the scene: Rhaenyra claiming Daemon is really what this is, right? Mm. It, it, it's uh, it's aligned with Aemon claiming Vagar coming up next, and it's Rhaenyra claiming Daemon too soon. Just like Aemond claims Vagar, quote-unquote too soon in everyone's eyes, right? Like, everyone's pissed. They're like, what? We didn't even get a chance. Which, we'll talk about that. But that's kind of what Rhaenyra did with her uncle. She claimed him.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point, right? She, she because both are, she sees Damon as someone who's like a, a path towards power, to an extent. Not just as her uncle and her lover, but also someone who can make things happen. Same as for Eamon, that's who Vagar is, right? And also for both coming into their full potential, right? Becoming who they feel they are meant to be for Rhaenyra. She feels that Daemon um, helps complete her. It's not like a toxic codependent thing at all. Um, and for Eamon, right, as well. He's like, now this is who I'm supposed to be, but... You know, coming back to what you're saying also about Harrenhal and even abandonment and the curses, I mean to an extent, right? Like the battle at the God's Eye it's just right there of Harrenhal and it ends up taking Damon from her. Holy shit. Yo, I forgot about that in context of-
1: Yo! Eliana! <laughs>
0: Big How sad. Could you do this to me? Big sad. Holy shit! Ugh. We're like, Holy oh, it's shit. bad that he's with her. She's with her uncle, but also they're in love, I guess. But also it's bad. But also it's sad. <laughs> Lots of feelings. I really didn't think
1: about it. That was a great catch, though, on the curse of Hall being what takes him from her one final time. You know, not just her abandonment issues driving him away it, from her.
0: I and mean, into the arms but, of someone else. Yeah, yeah.
1: That too, which is like, if you have abandonment issues, that's like your biggest fear in the world, obviously, because you have abandonment issues, it's in the name. Yeah. So it sucks. Yeah. Fucking sucks. God. <sighs> uh, can we talk about something that sucks less? Because I I mean, this was, even though it was pitch dark, it was, <laughs> it was such so a great dark. scene. It was so fucking great.
0: It was better on the like, laptop, Aemon, but it was so dark.
1: Yeah. I watched it. It was fine for me because we have our little projector and it's pitch black, so it works out good for us. But um, it's hard to watch in daylight for sure without turning your settings up a little bit. But Amon claiming Vegar was, I mean, it was fantastic. I can see why, and I hate to say this, but I see why they didn't put the Lena scene in. Tonally, I see it didn't fit for Lena to claim Vegar in those episodes and in that jump And I really wish we had more Lena, but I also think it would detract from claiming Vagar for Aemond. Like, it makes it. I I think they wanted to really be able to balance and leverage him being a badass, but also being a psycho in a way. Uh, And it's it's a fantastic scene altogether. It's beautiful. I love, oh God, when he crouches in the grass and the grass starts to whisper. And even the music, when he does claim Vagar, there's a new song. At first, it took me a little bit to get into it because it's like. It's literally just Danny on the dragons, the do, do, but it's like in a different key with a little bit of a different melody, even down to the do, 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 that part I like, you know, you know, that part I like, Aliana, but it's <laughs> very similar, but it's different. And I liked it. It just took me a few listens to really understand, like, what that was I wasn't just hearing that other song. Yeah. <laughs> but I really like that they separated it because... No one in their fucking mind wants to see and One-Eye on Vagar to Daenerys' song. I mean, that is kind of insulting in a way, right? Like, a differentiation of it, a variant of it, like what Ramin did, priceless. It was beautiful, and I really liked that touch.
0: Yeah, it was It was such a well-done scene, uh, as you said, right? Even the details of the music. I don't know, I still want the Lena scene, but I understand, as you said, right, like structurally why it helps to make there only be like one dragon claiming scene and for it to be this one um especially because they are trying to complicate i guess aemon it just sucks that they sacrifice like lena's uh development for that but also i don't know it could still we could still get it one day right like a in a blu-ray or something it could happen like really i'm just keep gonna keep hoping but i see what you're saying and it does make sense and it was really good. I'm like, you know... I kind of love him. I love Amon. <laughs> I know. He's I was like, freak. am I an Amond apologist now? But, I mean, it's hard to separate also, like, what he does later on. But I guess that's the point. <laughs> no one, like, is good in the dance. Um, yeah. Something else that sucks. Again, I said I was going to be referencing quite a few things from... The hot D Discord discussions that occur on Fridays. That this actually comes from our host, Maddie, who is doing a fantastic job of hosting these discussions, and she had this great point that was very sad and we were all like, Wow, Maddie, why would you hurt us all like this? Of, you know, Amon claims Vagar, and that means that Damon and Craxes, right? Like those like, Caraxes and Vagar were then kind of, like, lover dragons in a way and thus have to fight and kill mm-hmm. each other. That's so awful. Especially because, <laughs> like, listen, in CK2,
1: the Game of Thrones mod. <laughs> yeah? Which is canon. No, it's not. <clears throat> it, is, it feels canon for some days, but there's this event that, like, your dragons can be seen in the sky mating. Like, they become a mating pair. So ah. that is really sad and sweet to think that Caraxes and Vagar maybe ran across the sky together and also were in love and their connection. That's horrible. He does have to fight. Oh.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, That's like horrible. it is described that way, right? In the in Fire and Blood and and the Princess and the Queen, when the two dragons do fight one another, that their final fight is it is like a dance, and they did say that it seemed almost as though the dragons were mating. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, though funny enough, you know, my boyfriend when we were watching, like as soon as Amon claimed it, was like, oh no, um, because you know he he hasn't read Fire and Blood, but he can see the sides forming. But was like, oh no, that means that the daughters are gonna have to fight their mother's dragon. And I'm I didn't say anything. He thinks he's right. I'm like he's almost there, but not quite.
1: Oh, I can't wait. It's gonna be so much worse than that, partner. can't wait can't wait to hear about it Uh... Uh, it's gonna be so badass i mean until this scene last night i want you to understand that like there are some scenes in hot d that are gonna be for the girlies right and damon and amon at the god's eye Maybe that, to me, isn't, like, cool, cool. I'm not, like, out there like, yeah, woohoo, I'm, I'm so excited. But last night it all clicked. I get it now. After seeing this scene, seeing Eamon take Vegar the complete badassness, the ferocity, I mean, that little guy, my <laughs> god, he's got a backbone that I don't even have. I would have just, the second that fire was building in Vegar's throat, I would have been like, bye, peace, see ya. Like, I know what happened to Quentin Martell. I'm not playing this game. Goodbye. Yeah. Um amazing just absolutely amazing how it was shot it's just
0: yeah Eamon's like a weird little guy and it's just shot with this like beautiful sense of kind of like that childlike wonder it looks like something actually out of a children's fantasy movie right like and I mean that in a really good way because they've balanced that that sort of that whimsy and that wonder with the horror that comes right after it you know, complete whiplash um but I also I like the details right like we didn't get to see Lena claiming Vegar or like really getting on or off of Vegar so. Uh, the ladder. That's what the ropes were, Chloe. They were ladders. yeah They were fucking I was I like I told
1: you it was some sort of harness or something. I'm like I wouldn't have no guessed way. it
0: was a fucking playground ladder, okay. <laughs> and
1: you thought it was like noodle
0: hair. Like, like, she has noodle hair. I was like she has hair, you know, like when people She's got yakisoba hair. I was like, why not? Or like it was just seaweed hanging <laughs> off, but of course it's a ladder and that makes perfect sense um also it's aemon, aemon's ladder yeah it is he doesn't strap himself in also when he's in the saddle which i thought was really interesting because then we see oh you fucking made a mistake uh because it's apparently very difficult to fly a dragon without that and coming back again to the battle of the gods eye, above the god's eye between Damon and aemon like then we see like that kind of sets up like how how badass it is then that Damon's like you know what fuck it and he unstraps himself to jump dragons to to take down i guess his nephew and who has basically the same name as him but a little different and there's that's so i i I never really thought
1: about the unstrapping part especially then that Amon is such a crazy son of a gun that he's out there and he's like look
0: ma no seat belt yeah and yeah as you said right like the the scary thing of like he's he just like bucks up and like uses the fucking calm-ass commands to like calm down, calm down, right, to to Vagar and that, that works. And you know that that's the problem that Quentin Martel had, right? Turns out dragons are only monolingual. Uh they are mm-hmm. not bilingual after all of this time. No one has taught them the common tongue. <laughs> Get, they might
1: be bisexual, but they aren't bilingual. Yeah,
0: get them on Duolingo, where apparently they have high Valerian, but they don't have Tagalog or you know other like real ass languages. So whatever. <laughs> dragon lingo.
1: They're learning their dragon lingo. They got the app.
0: They're they're not. That's the problem.
1: <laughs> when Amond lands, he is like you know that boy is exhilarated. He's oh, yeah. feeling it. He's feeling great, and
0: unfortunately the valerians aren't yeah not to center him i feel bad because he was like having a great time and then they the kids come in and they're like what the fuck well that that's so
1: he's like riding a high like he literally i mean this kid just conquered <laughs> literally he just conquered everything that his family kind of had talked down on him about right like his big brother is an asshole where you see jace being supportive to luke you see Aiden being a total prick to him to Amund. um He's nice to Helena, probably because she's one of the few that's nice to him, right? Or nice-ish, even though she can be a little odd. He's like, I don't know, she's nicer than Aegon, nicer than Mom. And he did what they had been making fun of him for years about. They're like, you don't have a dragon, you dragonless fuck. And he went and got the biggest one. I mean, you can see he doesn't quite fit into his own family sometimes. And this is the thing he wanted to make him fit in. But it actually doesn't make him fit in. It sets him apart farther than the rest, as Otto points out. And of course, the Valerians, which again, a fucking fantastic scene. Bela goes to Jace and she's like another great connection to their alliance, their betrothal soon. But she goes to Jace and asks him to help because someone's stolen Vagar. which, again, coming back to Quentin Martel, you don't just steal a dragon. (laughs) There's no dibs on a dragon a dragon will tell you whether they want you to ride it or whether you should fuck off you know you might be able to tame it if you're skilled but no 11 12 whatever year old can just mount a dragon and steal it quote unquote not unlike think of the free folk right like uh they have the you have to steal me, Egret, you know. If yeah. you claim me, you have to steal me. So in a way, yes, okay, there's kind of an idea there. Maybe Eamon does have to steal Vagar to claim Vagar as his own. But dragons, like you don't know shit about dragons, dude. Yeah, if you think he stole Vagar.
0: I, I agree. It's kinda like what Daenerys says, right? A dragon is not a slave. It cannot be stolen then. Yeah. Like it's not property. It's it's uh it's your partner, right? And and this it's is what we were talking about. Fire made power, flesh made power. Exactly. And I don't remember what episode we were talking about this in. I think maybe one of the prologues or when we just started Brand. and um, I think our friend Thunderclap was asking us about uh, what we thought about like the, the dragons as flamethrowers. And i like, and it's so funny because actually they, turns out the showrunners describe Vagar exactly the way that we did. I was like, they're like cats. They don't got any loyalty. Right? And they describe her as an old yeah. cat and even the captions describe uh, her her sounds as purring. I was like, We got it, we got it, we understood. And Yeah. I mean, yeah, like it's Vagar has no fucking loyalty, alright? She she chose <laughs> she's loyal to whoever she wants to be, and she chose Amund and also like I it does suck, right? Because at the same time, again, speaking of loneliness and Amond not being able to connect <laughs> Bela no. Reina was kind of, like, in the same position as him, right? Because she's also like, I feel isolated from our family because I do not have a dragon. I do not yeah. feel like I belong. And and for that to be taken, and it's also a connection, right, to her mother. But
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's exactly, I guess, what the dance is about. Family betraying each other, even if that's your mother's dragon. Yeah. That's a... that betrayed you, <laughs> And I do, I, and, I feel for her, right? They're mirrors to each other in that yeah. way, amen and, and, and Reyna. Well, in this episode, I mean, the whole season is about inheritance mm. in
1: general, but this episode specifically has the stirrings of yet another mini succession crisis when it comes to yeah. Driftmark, as we start to hear, which is going to come and bubble up in the next episode. But Lena's death does leave that. And it's interesting because in this moment when you have, Rainy's begging Corlys to please just name Bela the heir. Dragons don't pass down through primogeniture through any geniture. They don't pass down through a succession right. You don't just inherit a dragon. It's not the Iron Throne. It's not the Mm Driftwood Chair. It's none of these. It's not the Sea Salt Chair, the Salt Sea, the Stone Salt, the (laughs) whatever the North one's called. You know, I mean, we're in the cinematic universe of Thrones now, you guys. So Uh, But it's not. You don't just pass a dragon down. And obviously, Lena, I I mean, she taught them that. We saw her teach them that, that like, you can claim them, you can birth them. There are many ways to get them, but you have to get them. Dragons are not something that you can just constantly, I mean, hatchlings are one thing, right? Getting an egg, which we might see in the next episode with Damon, it looks like for the boys, getting an egg in your crib becomes something that, you know, Reyna Reyna mm-hmm. from Aenys's, uh line there. I guess they all are. Reyna uh, from earlier on in Fire and Blood, she starts that tradition, not this Reyna. Leaving those eggs in the crib becomes a tradition their family uses to bring this fire alive. But you do have to do something to have them. Something special has to exist. Some little bit of magic for them to be yours and for you to bind a dragon to yourself or bond
0: with them. Yes, absolutely. And... And speaking of Reina, right? That Reina, uh, I think Dreamfire is the only it's the only dragon, right, through which maybe something passes. Like there is a way to inherit Dreamfire, which I know that you feel strongly about. You have to be gay. Only the gays <laughs> can
1: inherit Dreamfire. Is really I'm serious. What if Helena is we just don't know much about her. I really hope you yeah. continue going on with her. Maybe she has some loves so we just don't know. Yeah. I do want to say about inheriting dragons, it brings to mind, as many are thinking about with little Aemond, little Psycho Jr., Euron, and the theories of like him stealing a dragon, right? which I'm sure Nauticast has talked about Euron in their episode, which is out today as well. So please head over and listen. I just have a feeling that poor Quentin Fellow is just ecstatic about his weird little homeschooled Aemond Targaryen (coughs) son. But (laughs) I know this because he's my roommate. But Euron, like, it, it's the idea of Euron or Aegon or John claiming a dragon or a dragon being okay to bind itself to them. That's interesting. It takes boldness, it takes spirit and courage, it takes a little bit of magic, it takes a little bit of some sort of connection, whether it's blood, whether it's just the magic, yeah. whether it's fire. I I mean, I didn't think before, but seeing it now on TV like this, the way they're putting these themes,
0: it does make me think maybe we will
1: see one of those dragons go to a different side.
0: I think we'll see the dragons go to different sides quite a few times. Like, for example, I think that as we've seen, Brown Ben Plum is Mm -hmm. quite up there as a candidate, right? He, He had a rapport with the dragons so that's up there as one of the options and then i don't see brown van plum as a character who sticks around for a very long time so he could definitely die and then someone else could claim that dragon um and i i do see uh as one of the potential strongly as one of the potential um, options
1: that would legitimize him a bit wouldn't it 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 really would it really would it's World Star, right? <laughs> like, first of all, the actual fight before we move on, I was sitting here like throw the chair. Throw the sea stone chair. <laughs> or whatever fucking chair. chair. The sea wood chair. The wood stone. Uh, the driftwood chair. The drift Throw the, the chair. Yeah. The driftwood <laughs> Throw a piece of the chair. Okay. Somebody it was it was <laughs> wild. Um Eamon was being to break it down for you. I'm gonna be our, our breaker downer here. Eamon shows up and he's all like, fuck off, what's it to you? Yeah, I took <laughs> Vega, I'd do it again, fuckers. And they're like, hey, that's my mom's dragon. How dare you? This is a real betrayal in our family. And to be fair, Jace and Luke are both kind of being very reserved. Luke doesn't know what's going on.
0: Luke's like, why are we here?
1: Luke like wants nothing. At first, he really wants nothing to do with it with his evasive sand attack. Luke used sand attack. Uh, It was straight up Pokemon. Uh, But. You know, they don't really go on the offense right away, but Eamon says, I'm going to set you guys on fire if you ever fucking come at me again with my fucking huge dragon, I'm going to feed you to my fucking dragon. Definitely things kids say, definitely, you know, in six years, we're going to see this boy burning down the riverlands. It can't be a connection.
0: (laughs) He's full of power. It's definitely a connection and who he becomes, but also like... At the same time, I think sometimes kids just say shit like that, you know? They're like, I'm going to feed you to my dragon, right? Like, yeah. I'm going to blah, blah, blah. But unfortunately, these are kids who develop into
1: people who... Yeah, most kids in Westeros grow up saying they're going to feed someone to their dragon. Eliana, you're so clever to see it.
0: I don't, Well, not feed someone to your dragon, but, you know, something <laughs> to that same extent, you know? Like, kids love yeah. posturing, right? They, they say, like, oh, I'm going to do blah, blah. And you're like, no, you're fucking not. No, you're not, kid. Shut you're up. A fucking kid. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> like, kids will be like, I'm going to kick you out of my house. And it's like, no, you're not.
1: Yeah, that's true. No, you're not. That's true. They like to lie. Kids love lying. And it was unfair, right? Because then all three of them, well, four of them, technically, they all fall in on him. Right? And they're all beating the crap out of him. So, like, Jace draws the knife only when he gets pretty violent towards them. And then he slashes, and the bastard obviously bastard kind of sets him off a little bit, right, calling him a strong that was a little was a little out of line amen
0: it's it's a messy scene, like it's well done and shot, and it's intentionally messy. I'm saying messy in a good way, right like because it's hard to pick a side right because I do I'm like Amon was a huge asshole for for the way that he shoves and hits both Bela and Reyna, but at the same time they did also come at him first. They were the first to aggress, but are you should you treat girls like that roughly? Um, not necessarily, but also because I was I guess kind of a tomboyish kid when I would get in fights, I was like, yeah, fucking hit me as hard as you can, you know? Like, absolutely, it. don't hold back just because I'm a girl. <laughs> uh, so uh, the way that he treats them is absolutely abhorrent and disrespectful, but also then you have all three of the kids wailing on him, and I'm like, that's not fair. And then you also have people who have rightly pointed out, like he was gonna smash that kid's like head in with a rock, which interestingly, you know, Amon again oh, with the yeah. D, the Damon, the D of the Amon da- at the oh. end, they could outrun him, especially after wailing on him, like they didn't have to continue to escalate this fight, especially once they, like, pocket-sanded him. I kind of forgot about The Rock, I'm going
1: to be honest, yeah, until now. And I'm like, yep, that might have been why I also was mad at Eamon to, like, put The Rock down, son.
0: Yeah. And, like, it was, was it in self-defense? Was it not? I don't know. Everyone just kept escalating. And so... He's just like his uncle, for real, holding The Rock
1: in self-defense.
0: Yeah. Also, now that I think about it, when you, now that you said, like, he's like his uncle for real, I mean, taking on a bunch of people all at once, uh, Damon at the Stepstones... Uh, I
1: love seeing him transform into darker Damon. I mean, he's also a feminist king too. You heard him talking about his sister. <laughs> I'm serious uh. in a way, yeah. I mean, they they stand for a lot of the same values, but like they're just both chaotic. Absolutely chaotic. This is so funny because literally, jokingly, in our Unleash the D Primer episodes, both Emmett and Maddie that came on made jokes about me accidentally becoming an Amon stand during this season. And I really didn't take it seriously, but yet here I am, boo boo the fool with the nose on. I'm like, that's my psycho son.
0: That's my boy. I, I, I love that idiot. Yeah, I'm torn. I like, I support who he is now. And I'm like, I see how we got here. And hilarious. Good job for you, kid. But also, I'm like, how dare you do that to Bela and Reyna? I love them. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm like, absolutely. I'm like, Viserys. I'm like, we are a family. We are a family. We are going to get along. I mean, that's actually the
1: beauty of this show, though, so far, because this is just mimic... It's a microcosm of the fight in the next scene, right? Yeah. It's the bubbling up of these tensions that the parents have shoved at their kids saying, oh, we don't like these people. We don't like them. Well, here we are. It's bubbled through the kids. It's coming to the top. It's rising. And then in the next scene, it happens again.
0: Yeah, which I also have to say... In the next scene, how come no one let Bela and Reyna speak and say what that happened? That was frustrating. At least good King Robert would have let them speak. I think he really would have. Like, they, this is literally their house. Like, this is their family, like, seat and home. Why did they have no rights to speak out on what happened? Anyway.
1: <sighs> yeah. Times were different back then than they were yeah, in Yeah, that's true. Robert, Feminist okay, can't. Eliana. No, I'm joking.
0: <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, <laughs> the big fight. You Girls know? with their daggers. I mean, a lot of it, again, is about the series being like, we are a family. and But I, I because, again, for some reason we like Aemond now... I couldn't help but laugh when he smirks when they're like, yeah, he called them bastards. And he's like, yeah, I did. But also for some reason that I am not charmed at Kristen Cole laughing at the, you know, things that are going on. I'm like, how dare you? This is not the time for you to be laughing, Kristen Cole. You. Asshole. But now that I think about it, the whole episode is maybe kind of about people laughing at inopportune times. Allison
1: spends. I mean, Ranier and Allison spend the whole episode gagging one another and others around them, which I love. Yeah, like they they're being very sassy. That line from Alicent is totally like girlfriend. Come on. She's out of control. She goes entertaining his young squire's adventure about where Laner is. And Kristen Cole laughs and Harold Westerling makes a face. Yeah. Uh, Again, they're really giving Harold like four things to do this episode, which to me says he's gone next episode. Say goodbye to Papa Westerling. I love him The only Westerling we've seen on TV ever. Oh my God. You're right. Holy shit. I know. I know. Uh, Now, I I really want to talk about a little bit of the end of last scene, the fight, but also this scene and how it's framed, because it's actually framed, and I've been thinking about this for a few weeks, actually, since you and I recorded with Kim Renfro, I've been thinking about this, that this is framed exactly like the scuffle at the Trident in a Game of Thrones, right? With Joffrey, Sansa, Micah, Arya, and the throne, or the dairy scene, where Mm -hmm. Robert calls them in and asks the truth of it. Even down to the way, not only the words from the book and what was copied to a Game of Thrones in the show, but also from here in the show, what they did between each person. So, for example, in, I believe this is what, The King's Road, I think? Episode 2 of Game of Thrones? Robert Baratheon says, to your point, Now, child, tell me what happened. Tell it all and tell it true. It's a great crime to lie to a king. Here instead we have Viserys to Aemon saying, "Look at me, your king demands an answer. Who spoke these lies to you? Tell me the truth of it," he says. Uh, and then of course we have between Cersei versus uh, what comes up with Alicent. Cersei calls Arya as wild as that animal of hers, and that she wants her punished. Robert says, "What would you have me do? Whip her through the streets? Damn it! Children fight. It's over." She says Joffrey will bear these scars for the rest of his life. So, going to what Alison says, she says "Amond has been damaged permanently. Goodwill cannot make him whole. She says there is a debt to be paid. I shall have one of her son's eyes in return. She then says he's your son, Viserys, your blood. And she says that if the king will not seek justice, the queen will. And says, "Sir Criston, bring me the eye of Luceris Valarian." So, I think it's like perfectly written. It's one one in many moments for some of the things Alicent says. Like she straight up is almost quoting Cersei on a lot of these moments. Mm-hmm. Really brilliantly framed. Really well done. Uh, I mean, God, I kind of want Olivia Cook in a blonde wig, whispering very quietly, "We have a wolf," you know, just just for a second, just for just for myself.
0: I mean, maybe you do. Like, maybe that was her audition tape, because remember, they gave her Cersei lines. We don't know what lines they gave her. That's true. That's true. I would love to see that. But she's not in a wig, probably. <laughs> <sighs> she should be. I'll I'll just
1: imagine it. I do think that, obviously, Viserys and Robert have a lot of parallels here in some aspects. In the blindness, right? The ascetic king, the blindness. Uh, and also in the idea, like, ah, this is just kids being kids. Because... Obviously, your asshole bastard son, Joffrey, different bastard asshole son, <laughs> Joffrey, he was a right little bitch on the Trident. We do know that. And he is lying. Now, he is kind of the Amond of this scene, right? But Amond at the same time, I love that he passes it to Aegon, as we'll talk about. And I love that he's like, this is bullshit. Why am I going down for everybody else's crimes? <laughs> like, it's not just me. I actually love that it's reverse though, right? Because the 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 actually somewhat injured party is the one that you're not, well, who who's to say what you're supposed to like, but kind of a little douchebag, right? Like, you're kind of like, I feel bad for him, I do. But also, he earns it in some aspects.
0: Yeah, also, Eamon doesn't feel bad for himself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he doesn't
0: feel bad for himself, so I don't think I should fully feel bad for him. I mean, he says so. He's like, he basically, I will a badge of honor it, you know, I'll wear it as a badge of honor, you know, and he's like, fucking worth it. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting because, first of all, as you said, right, in terms of how they turned it on Aegon, and I just want to point out, um, someone called that out of, like, please, why is Aegon unintentionally funny on um, <laughs> the Twitter user Ma Queen spelled M-U-H for McQueen, or, no, sorry, the Twitter user Rainey's McQueen, spelled M U H, for Rainey's McQueen, and then like, oh my god, so many people replied to it with like hilarious versions of memes of people going "me" <laughs> when Agan's <Aiken's> like "me," <laughs> it's just so funny. I'm sorry, I like, I was just dying looking at those. But yes, Allison, absolutely plays this very much like Cersei but at the same time you can see that the there's a very I think real and genuine like concern Allison's like how they cannot keep getting away with this right in a way that is a little different from Cersei's cunning uh when this goes down because I mean Joffrey wasn't hurt that bad let's be fucking real right Amond is absolutely very much hurt very badly yes and it yes. it's absolutely understandable for Allison to want justice and it's I actually see that the way that Rhaenyra turns it around and gets what she wants out of the situation as very Cersei-esque, you know, like repositioning and like somehow making it like that you were, you know, you're, you're changing the ideas of who's like actually at fault, right? Like re redoing everything so that it is unjust, especially because we know Joffrey is, uh, was the aggressor there at the Trident. That one was much more clear, right? That one was much more black and white versus this strange gray thing of uh, the children fighting here. And I I, I just kind of see the way that Rhaenyra does it as also very Cersei-esque. I like
1: that, especially a different Cersei, right? Um, They both have that desperation, but Rhaenyra plays it a little younger Cersei, even kind of utilizing her father's power, mm-hmm. right, to to hide behind his paper shield in a way, because she only has so much time until that won't work anymore. That's true, I right? Because he'll be dead. Like they both. That's the saddest part in some aspects here that they both are on a ticking time bomb, all dependent on this man's death.
0: Yeah, they're they're clinging to him for for that someone's a power and then like that's when Allison finally really finds out that she's powerless and she has to do things differently than she thought when Kristen doesn't do anything but you know thank god finally Kristen like for one second I'm like okay for one second I was like okay maybe you do understand your job then he does something else like in two seconds I'm like you do not understand your job but she orders him and she's like you're sworn to me and he's like as your protector. Thankfully, he does not move, but Harold Westerling looks at him like, you fucking idiot. (laughs) Straight up, like,
1: especially because he's, like, as your protector, which very much is defensive. Yes. Offensive. And Alicent is absolutely, while it seems like you might want to say it's defensive, she wasn't there for the defense. None of them were. In fact, like, I attribute some of that, like, where was Laner? Where was Rhaenyra? Where uh, was Alicent? Where were y'all? Where were your kids? What yeah. were y'all doing? It's you 9 o'clock. Do you know where your kids are? Yeah. Um. Y'all were busy machinating and scheming is what you were busy doing. And now all of you are suffering the consequences of your major actions for the past decade and a
0: half. It's kind of funny because, uh, you know... Yeah, like every time the kids sneak out, which I mean that's what kids do, right? They get into hijinks. Yeah. I'm not so su- like this is a hi-jinks. that is a normal kid thing to do. This is as George likes to say though, turned up to eleven because someone lost an eye. It's very much mm-hmm. like you're gonna shoot your eye out, right? Um, you'll shoot your eye you'll out. You'll shoot kid. your eye out, kid. Something that also really stood out to me is I like that you read aloud uh, Robert's line because it's actually very gentle right now. Child, tell me what happened, tell it and tell it true, it's a great crime to lie to a king. It's a very gentle way of putting that. Whereas how Viserys does it is he goes to his son with this kind of aggression of your king demands an answer. And it makes me think of how last episode when Rhaenyra ordered Laenor to stay with her, right? Or even when Rhaenyra previously was commanded to attend Aegon's birthday party by the king or even when Viserys orders Rhaenyra to wed Laenor and I'm sure we'll see Rhaenyra start doing this more and more to people around her ordering them by way of um you know her own position and it really shows right like Within these families and within these relationships, that imbalance of power, when you are wed to a royal, even when you are one, when you're related to one within these, it it creates an unhealthy family dynamic that's just built on power as opposed to love and respect for one another and humanity, Uh, especially because you see how Viserys clearly treats his children by Alicent so differently from Rhaenyra, like as we've discussed, we never really saw him caring for the babies in the earlier episodes. He never even seemed that fond of Aegon, the conqueror babe. And... Yeah. Yeah, like, his favoritism towards Emma, right, is a big part of that. But I also kind of wonder, was he maybe a little warmer towards the children, but not as much? Um, but then, when he realized that Otto calculated this marriage between a, between Viserys and Alicent, like... Does he end up taking it out on his kids and on Allison, which is really sad that he he might take out Otto's machinations out on them. Again, it's living
1: up, just like we see earlier with Jacerus and Luceris, the sadness that they're already exhibiting, you know, that deep doom that they're already feeling, the true doom of Valyria that's coming over them, of, like, trying to live up to your parents everything, right? Everything they expect of you. And... Kristen Cole even has it in this moment in this scene, you know, him saying, I'm your protector. It brings up all those conflicts of everything you're supposed to do in life as, A, a Kingsguard of protect Mm -hmm. the king, protect the queen, you know, listen to them, protect their children, Mm. do this, love your parents, love your siblings. Yes. But that's also what's being passed down onto these kids by putting them into such big royal positions. And, I mean, these positions come with prejudice, with hatred built into them with blood rivalry.
0: Even within, within the same family, right? Like, we see that uh, Amond and Aegon do end up having a sort of partnership in ruling the kingdom, right? Amond becomes, like, Aegon's hand, right? Briefly. Um, during, or maybe he doesn't. I don't remember. But um Aemond and Aegon, you know, they, they work together closely to fight this war. But even within their nuclear family, they, they have that hatred and that blood and i mean again aemon names Aegon as the person where he hears all those rumors from uh which ties nicely and creates that sort of cycle of how Aegon was the one who lied last episode it was like yeah um it was definitely the strong kids whose names i cannot remember yet i am blaming them for bullying uh for bullying aemond the bullying back and forth when does it end
1: uh, like you
0: said like Alaria said when does it end it doesn't. Never. It really doesn't. Because now we get to, as you said, girls with daggers. So well done. The drama of it all. Uh,
1: Alicent grabbing the dagger. The dagger point in Rhaenyra's face and the flames behind it. As this is the prophecy. This is the prophecy of ice and fire. This is what Rhaenyra realizes she's trying to protect her family from. And yet, the very same ancestral dagger with the runes and secrets of the Song of Ice and Fire written within it in their language and coded in the blood, right, of their history, Alicent is just waving in her face. It's reduced to that moment, and it's so tense, um, it's sexy and scary, right? I'm like, oh my god, are they going to kiss or kill? I can't wait to see both. And you see the regret on both of them, but Rhaenyra saying, now they see you as you really are.
0: Yes. She's like, "Girls, stop fighting." The wolves finally, you know, it, it's all unveiled and it's not even they see her as she really is. This is the first time I think even Allison sees her as she really is, right? She finally for the first time vocalizes why she's so frustrated because she's done everything right and yet isn't allowed to do to get away with every isn't allowed to get away with anything.
1: Where is duty? Where's sacrifice? It was very well written. Where is honor it's everything, yeah. yeah, it's everything we have seen well honors a horse. Um, but it's <laughs> yeah, everything we've sure. seen her building to and her resentments building to. Yeah, it's so sad. It was uh, I don't know, I do feel horrible for her at the same time. I mean, because at the end of the night now, even in the next scene right when she talks to her dad, like she's like, shit, what do I do? And he's like, oh, go grovel, you know, play the innocent the innocent.
0: Yeah, like Rhaenyra definitely kind of calculates for that for that cut, right? Which is interesting because she will be cut much more times than by the Iron Throne. I'm starting to wonder if like the the phrasing on the dagger from my blood come the prince that was promised doesn't necessarily mean then from Aegon's line, or does it mean from the blood that's spilled, right? because
1: here she spills
0: blood. Yeah, Her she blood spills blood. Spilled. And then we see like this it's... becomes a Targaryen family tradition in fighting civil wars and blood spilling. Exactly. But not like in that sense, but I mean like also
1: in the episode alone later than I mean I joked about it on twitter.com on bird app but like Maester Gerardus needs to go stock up on antiseptic because oh how many times did Rhaenyra just cut herself open this episode whether purposefully or not uh but it brings you back to that blood sacrifice and to blood feeding magic. right? Yeah. To magic happening from blood. And I mean, she's going to continually have that. It also makes you think of what the green council that we're going to get in the future here, where they all swear a blood oath. Alicent is the only one in the books that doesn't have to because it's she is but point. a woman.
0: It's a great and point. I think that,
1: end. yeah, that also points to, I mean, she never took the oath, the blood oath of, you know, going against the Blacks. And you do see that there's still some love within her and within Renira for one another, right? Because she doesn't kill Alicent. She kills her father. She never kills Alicent.
0: Yeah. Yeah, There, there is something... There's something that's there. And as you said, right, when Alicent drops the dagger. She absolutely regrets it the moment it happens because... Who have you become, right? When you're uh, Mm -hmm. fucking stabbing your best friend, who's not your best. I mean, at least it wasn't backstabbing, I guess, you know. But um, also, Also the heir to the throne right like there's a it's a complex thing where a she's like i fucked up and also speaking of heirs of the throne what what was Kristen cole doing why were you running into there all the king's guard had to be like don't do it they they were like we got to hold him back or next thing we know he's pummeling someone's face in again cuz let's be real the person that he wanted whose face he wanted to pummel in at the wedding was Rhaenyra's because he's a terrible person um and that's what he was going to do like what are you going to do fucking kill the heir to the throne like that's also not your job you protect the queen but not the air is being, like, the air is the one who's being threatened. Anyways. Um. So
1: following this scene, Allison feels major regret. Her and Otto speak at the fireplace. Basically, they have a conversation where he's like, honey, you did, well, you went a little too hard, but you did a great job. Didn't know it was in ya, to be honest. And also, I kind of like that other weird kid you have. I know we talked about Egan the first, or the first son, Aegon the second but you know what about that aemond guy because he really has talent and it's a good thing he got us the world's biggest nuke
0: yeah he's like very proud of them and you know as you were saying right she was anticipating she was anticipating being scolded instead got approval and you can really see how that cycle of abuse right she like slaps Aegon in front of everyone Right, like yeah. how that keeps getting passed down with these generations, and even the way Viserys treats treats his son, and like she treats her children this way because that's the language that she knows from Otto. She doesn't know how to get love and approval from from a parent. She's never seen that modeled. Her mother died, um, and you can kind of see like why Rhaenyra's children grew up nicer because Rhaenyra was treated with love by her father, or at least he tried to, right? And her siblings received neither love nor the attempt at it from both parents. Um, Kind of, maybe Helena kind of got some attempt at love from her mom, but it It reminds me something our friend Rowan had said before about families and and abuse, speaking with people who are like, why am I acting this way? And she explains, like, let's say you grow up in a household where you, I don't know, speak... English, right? What language are you going to speak? You're going to speak English. So if you grow up in a household where the language is violence, then what language will you grow up knowing? And yeah, I, we that's really see known. that. Yeah, that's all that's all Alison's known. I will say she's a little lucky that uh, she's not married to Henry VIII because Otto's saying that, well, Viserys is gonna forgive you. What else could he do? And I'm like, well, well, <laughs> ask Ambo Lid with her green <laughs> outfits. Yeah.
1: Let's find out what Anne Lynn says. <laughs> uh, and besides, that's another generation or so when it comes to the Targs, am I right? Yep. That H- comes from Rhaenyra's line. Oops. <laughs> uh, oops. <laughs> so after Rhaenyra's injury, Laner and Rhaenyra speak an interesting, much sweeter, softer play on hmm. that Cersei-Robert conversation in season one of A Game of Thrones. And it's a very honest conversation. It's not cruel. It's not mean. It's just honest about their place, their position, that, you know, they did the best they could. Laner is disappointed in himself that he wasn't able to be an excellent father. He knows that. He acknowledges that. He knew the whole time. And that maybe he wasn't always there for her. They both kind of laughed that they had said at one point, like, this agreement will be fucking easy for us. Because it turns <laughs> out it really wasn't. It wasn't easy at all.
0: No, it wasn't. And. Obviously, it led to a lot of tragedy for the both of them, right? Like, both of them now uh, have that feeling of losing a lover, though it was probably way more traumatic the first time around for Lenor. But, you know, I kind of feel like there are some parallels also, even of, like, Otto and Aemon saying the dragon was worth the injury with Rhaenyra, kind of maybe feeling the same of, like, worth it to let the knife slash me. But in terms of the honesty between the two, I I, I really do love that scene where um that affirmation Rhaenyra... Gives to Lainor because Lainor says I hate the gods for making me as they did, and she says I do not. You know
1: what it actually reminds me of is
0: Aemon. Aemon's speech, right? Aemon, Aemon, uh, Targaryen. In the Maester Aemon. Yeah, Maester Aemon. I'm sorry. Without, it's hard to hear the the, the <laughs> D. You know, like so. I'm like, I want to make yeah. sure that you're talking about Maester Aemon from present day two ninety seven AC Sorry, sorry. Of course, of course. Um, live. It reminds me
1: of what Aemon says, right? When he says, you know, we're only human. The gods have fashioned us for love. Mm. I mean, that—that that is the truth, right? Like, Rhaenyra says, that's all we are. She doesn't say, say it, but she says it. What is it she says to him? She says, he says that he had hoped, she had hoped to bear the children for him and the few times they laid together she says to him that you are an honorable man with a good heart. It's a rare
0: thing, probably one of the last ones we'll see on the screen, yeah, absolutely. And it is so sad, right? Like, as you said they they did try, and we talked about whether or not they did last wrong. episode. <laughs> yeah, I was wrong. Well, you didn't say anything. I'm the one who's wrong. I'm wrong, okay. um because I guess wow. they did do their duty right, as opposed to anything, I don't know, it would be kind of neat if they didn't, but Regardless, like I understand, you know why I don't fault them for wanting to choose pleasure, for wanting to choose happiness, because, you know what, what is this brief mortal life? It's not just the pursuit of legacy. It, it can be trying to find happiness, steal happiness where you can get it, and it's Probably obviously like
1: all life is.
0: Yeah, and it's it's harder, you know, when you're marginalized, right? Like the way that Laner is um, mm-hmm. as a gay man, and. You know the the exchange between them kind of ends with him like promising Rhaenyra to be there. He says, "You deserve a husband," and I thought that was such an interesting line because then it cuts away. But I feel like maybe unspoken by Rhaenyra and what we see with the end of the episode is the conveyance of the idea of so do you. You deserve love too. God. I'm so sad. I. Let's let's start making it there, right? Before we get to his yeah, before we get to his boat ride, let's talk about another boat ride that's a uh, uh lighten the mood a little. Allison and Larry's. Um but before lighten we, the mood. Yeah, I I guess I we're not there yet because first I guess, you know, Allison does as we discussed, right? Like she shows care towards Viserys. That's the duty part. You know, she played the role perfectly in a way that Laenor didn't could not um Which again, I don't fault him for. Uh, And she is worried about Viserys. There's when she says sorry, like I I do think that there's a genuine like regret there, and Viserys forgives her. Which, and then he overlooks it, but we will speak no more of it. And uh, it's like, yeah, Rhaenyra has benefited from Viserys overlooking people's faults, um, you know, because he loves his daughter, just the one. Uh, But. I don't know, I feel like the Hightowers have also benefited from Viserys overlooking people's faults for many years until Rhaenyra finally put her foot down about Otto. Um, You know, he definitely overlooks the faults of his sons because they definitely have faults, as we're going to see. Aegon definitely has, like, clear faults, and he forgives Alicent just now, right? Like, even though she wasn't entirely, like, in the wrong for feeling hurt the way she did But I will say, you know, if it weren't for the fact that there's a whole realm at stake and the stakes are very, very high in this family, being forgiving isn't bad.
1: I don't even know if I'd really say that she was forgiven so much Mm. because it seems he was more like exhausted and collapsing because he seems on the brink of dying. Which Um, he is. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't think that he even has the mental capacity or energy right now to go into it. Yeah, moreover than anything. I mean, I think that he probably dies estranged from her with her and her father pretty much controlling his counsel in court. And (sighs) I don't know, I would like him to for I would like them to find some sort of forgiveness, but I don't think they will because I think that is a part of Allison's heart, you know, that is hurt terribly that could never come back from that. I don't know. I'm curious.
0: It's understandable if she isn't, right? Because, like, Allison is kind of the person she's going to be now, you know? I think the first few episodes kind of are establishing how she becomes this way. And this is mostly who she's going to be. And, like, it's understandable for her to to not really want or it to an extent because, as we're shown in episode four, she's just constantly undergoing marital rape, there was no pleasure for her in her life. Um there was no love, so she doesn't know how to she doesn't know how to communicate it. Yeah. I will say it is something glorious to
1: see the three dragons in the sky. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, it would appear that's all three of her children, so Helena claimed Dreamfire off episode off page. Mm. And we already saw Sunfire earlier with his horns. Oh my god, and I can't wait to see him up close in the glittering yeah. I presume, though, that's all three of the children flying ahead with Vagar taking off last, which in the behind-the-scenes they talk about how Vagar, you know, obviously too big to function because dragons <laughs> just grow and grow until their death. And uh, you see Vagar needs a little extra, just like me, if I need to make a jump or something, I just need a little extra giddy-up. I just gotta get a running start. So I loved that. I loved the shot of that. And it makes you think, like, Allison was not really prepared to have three dragon riding weirdo children. You know? And that's certainly something. Who is? But, like, just sitting there, she looks up and she's like, oh, Jesus Christ, my children have flaming giant
0: lizards. And children who are, like, not that much younger than me. Also, not that smart. That's also true. One or two of them are, but not that
1: smart. Not that smart. Allison does recognize during this, I think there's a big power shift. She realizes. I need allies, and she speaks very courteously to Larry's, but also in a way curtly, where you can tell that she's like, oh, I need to keep you on retainer. First of all, I need to keep my hooks in you. Mm-hmm. Uh, big, big power change, and that he'll be rewarded eventually, she says. Just stick around and see. So I thought that was a very smart power move on her part, that she kind of retied him to her.
0: Yeah, and that's also... In a in a courteous
1: way, without being too blackmaily.
0: I agree, and that's why I was kind of like, oh, is there something that does happen later down the line that I'm not, that I'm overlooking, right? Where maybe she could be, I guess, capable of murder in cold blood. I don't know, but I just thought that scene was funny, even though Mm -hmm. maybe it's not supposed to be, because it was like Allison maybe being like, oh, now he fucking learns how to ask for clarification beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get to it. Let's talk about about the wedding, Uh, One of Fire. And well, the other one's not a wedding, but it's an absconding. No, maybe you could think of it as an eloping. I don't know. Of everyone's eloping by sea. Yeah. By the
1: sea? Kind by of a sea. beautiful back and forth. Yeah. I really loved that they cut in between because it's very much a twist, right? A second episode in a row where they're doing the outro, they show us that Laner. Is gonna die? Question mark. Question mark. <laughs> Damon shows up, and we'll talk about his Kermit cosplay. But that he shows up, and he's talking to Carl, and you think this is it. He's exchanging money. He's got the rock in his hand, you know, murdering Laner And then we have a conversation in the background between Damon and Rhaenyra during all of this as well, which. I really loved this conversation because it's about her rule and what her rule is about to be and how to rule. And he's kind of advising her on that. Mm,
0: yes, absolutely. It's a, it's a great ending and scene. Um, As you said, we've got, I don't know. I, I just can't take him seriously. Are we going to see Damon wear this fucking stupid evil Kermit cosplay? Like every single fucking time that he like does something evil, like, or something like morally ambiguous is he gonna wear this because please 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 if anyone's listening to this give give damon give matt smith a a different costume for this like he can have a variety of costumes it doesn't have to be this one every time i can't take him seriously you know you know he's going to you're
1: gonna see him in flea bottom eliana you're gonna see him there in flea bottom in that outfit being like blood cheese we got work for you you're gonna see it and you're gonna screech about it
0: Give him a different cloak. Give him a different costume. My god. Eliana,
1: um, he's literally in the cloak in the next episode. I'm so, so sorry dumb. when he goes to see Misaria. It's in the trailer. So I'm so dumb. sorry. I'm
0: so sorry. He looks like <sighs> such a dumb edgelord. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> also when he's talking to Carl, it's just, I think it's kind of funny. They acted it well, but Carl's like, why is this man in my bubble? <laughs> he like moves his head back. <laughs> we are too close, sir.
1: <laughs> Damon, you are far too intimate.
0: Yeah, it's like, so are you going to kill me or are you going to kiss me? But it turns out he's like, I'm just going to pay you. But, anyway. Uh,
1: there's this line where Damon tells Carl about what Laner's life could be, in a way. Mm. Like, he's not, He he's saying, you know, it's framed that he's saying it as an enticing thing, like, you could have these things if you kill him. Again, a great giveaway. And he's saying, he has a dragon, and you know, if and he has a name, and anyone with the things this guy could have, if they went east, a little bit of gold that would take care of them, that's all they'd need. But also, he's talking about Laner in the way that he was spoken about by the Pentoshi in the last episode because they were saying, you know, you could live out here your dragons, you know, your miniature little family that's also kind of a miniature army, you could live here for free and be celebrated the rest of your life in our menagerie. We could keep Mm -hmm. you like that. So he's actually offering that to Carl. He's saying, you guys could go be free in the east. Laner has a dragon. He has a name. He has blood. He has money. If you go there, you know, you guys could also have this lifestyle of mine that I could have had, and I'm giving it up for you (laughs) to marry Rhaenyra.
0: Yeah, I mean, even beyond that, right, like, uh, it's, it's a little reminiscent of, oh my god, I'm sorry, I keep doing a bad, I'm doing a terrible job of not remembering. Um, who said this? Because I just, like, see things when I scroll through Twitter, but, you know, someone pointing out it's even, like, uh, what Rhaenyra didn't do, right? That Kristen Cole was like, let's go do this thing, but it makes sense, because it's like, why would, uh, why would... Damon give the speech about, you know, you can go across the sea and there are places where a man's name doesn't matter, only gold. And it's funny, right? It's kind of in defiance of the idea of it remembers names and Laner's trying to escape that name. So it makes sense in the context of Lainer, um that, that it speech. It also is sad
1: in the context of Rhaenyra later that she has to go east and sell her crown.
0: Mm, yeah, Absolutely. Um, she and who does that yeah and then at that point it's only the name that they have left right just as like it was for Viserys and Daenerys yeah and I like there's there's some great lines in this one too right like fire is a prison the sea offers an escape obviously they're talking a little bit like in this kind of code but the idea of fire is a prison especially for Lenor, that um fire consumes is maester eamon tells us before but also uh gives a little bit of um clarity to all of these chain accessories and bandage motifs that are on all of the clothing right and this idea of fire and passion as uh this binding force something that larry's was kind of speaking about at the end of last episode of how love kind of holds people back um but also the sea as an escape obviously that's pretty clear right in terms of Lenor and you know what i imagine like rainier and and he actually probably spoke about this in that conversation or started speaking about it um you know from the sea we came to the sea we shall return that's what happens with Lenor. it's almost like a rebirth right a baptism he comes out of it as a different person but also i i and we'll talk about what the price is for this, especially like nobles getting to decide who pays that price. But I do really love our friend Lo, Lo the Lynx's thoughts, uh, and they have a great thread on on how this is a fantastic way to not have to play into the trope of barrier gaze, the idea that being queer doesn't always have to be this tragic thing, that there can be outcomes of happiness for you and that you get to choose for yourself.
1: Yeah, it's a completely great outlet for them to take this, especially because I think we can all say that we felt uncomfortable, right, in the book. I mean, within six months, you have both of them die, uh, Mm -hmm. especially for Laner, and it's, like, very suspicious. And I actually love that during this, Rhaenyra says, they will think it was me, like, what we're saying that we're going to do. This puts an immediate stain on me. I am the first person that will be indicated in this and it's true, because you did then jump your uncle's bones and immediately marry him that very same day. But that said, that said. Uh, it was a, it's a very sad little just voiceover for her to say, like this is, if we commit to this, this is huge. And it makes me wonder in a way, you know, Lena was married or was betrothed to the Bravosi sea, sea lord's son, right, or the sea lord. And it's pre-agreed upon with Damon and Corlys in the book that they will duel for her honor. That he'll duel the boy that she's betrothed to for her hand. Hmm. So Corlys agrees to that. Obviously, we see here that Corlys doesn't agree to any of this, right? This isn't uh, this is not something that was pre-agreed upon with the family. So I wonder if they took a couple elements of that just to play around with it and then completely inverted it and let him leave. However, I do want to bring up something that's very dear to me. If you've listened to our podcast, you might you might have heard about this. It's kind of interesting because Laner gets to live his life out with his secret lover. Sure, he dies with everybody having rumors about whether or not he had bastard children <laughs> in their eyes. However, he is in the water, staring into the water, and then he's gone, right? He's gone on this rowboat.
0: Is that not Ashara Dane's death? It very much is quite like it. The whole disappearing, and I mean, they're both kind of watery, right? Like I, uh, the gray water watch, very much so. I mean, literally, I guess gray water. Now that I think about it, yes, the idea of
1: her going with Howland, maybe, yeah, gray water, and I don't know, the idea of like having your name be behind the are they aren't they of the bastard the the royal heir bastard john snow oh yeah the Valyrians i mean that also is it ashara was used as a scapegoat for john's birth right like what if john came out having valyrian features well guess what all <laughs> these children came out for rhaenyra not having them
0: he was yeah. supposed
1: to be the ashara in this situation he was supposed to be what fended off those rumors yeah. Now he's taken by the sea.
0: He is taken by the sea to go live another life. <laughs> another life. Another life. Hopefully, the one that he wants.
1: As his wifey does that. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, I do wonder, obviously, I wonder how the fuck they're going to handle Adam, Valerian, Adam of Hole, of course, Sea Smoke. I imagine. You know I've seen a couple theories online people are saying like what if Corley's goes to fight in the stepstones and he ends up accidentally killing Laner and Laner's on the other side
0: dang that would be fucked up I don't I don't be think great, I want though it'd be fucked up I don't want that um I really hope no, I don't not want it at all oh my god um, I I don't but know it's an interesting like, thought if it's not from Corley's I will say at the very least based on who we see Laner is it kind of feels like dying in battle is what he would want I would hope we get a scene of
1: either him dying in battle. I don't want to see it, but like him dying in battle and slash or see smoke rising up out of nowhere on Driftmark and just screeching. Just a horrible, sad screech. And Rainie's and Corlys are awakened in the night and she like gets it as a dragon rider. Like she understands Mm. what it means.
0: But then that would mean he died twice for her.
1: Exactly, yeah, that's going to be horrible. Because,
0: I mean, that is the worst part, right? Like,
1: almost Catalanesque esque that yeah. she thinks both of her children are dead, but there was still one alive, and she'll never know.
0: Yeah. And that he
1: died for this cause.
0: Yeah, I. it is really sad, right? Because Rainy's obviously didn't want this, but, you know, on, on the other hand, like... Is... Yeah, and she even pushes Corlys away and, I mean, I, I wonder if this drives a wedge in their marriage because she said yeah. she warned him that wedding Laenor to Rhaenyra would endanger him, but you know, now he's, like, living his best life Um, I guess. Big sad about his mom, but at the same time, like, did he have that good of a relationship with his dad even? Like, if his dad won't even acknowledge and see his son for who he is, right? We saw we saw Corlys denying that Lenor was gay.
1: I mean, I think that's part of it. They'll have all of this unresolved sadness, and that impacts a person. I mean, that grows. You see that changes his ambitions and how he acts during the dance and what he recommends to Rhaenyra.
0: Yeah, that's
1: uh, You true. see that he starts to play political and survival in the mid-end of the story. Yeah. I think this is very impactful.
0: I also saw, saw some theories in which uh, people have theorized that a... Uh, Adam of Hull could actually be a Laenor returning. And I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that would be a little bizarre. I do not think that That would be the case. That
1: would be too soap opera. Uh, That would be just a little too much. This
0: is not Jane the Virgin. This is... (sighs) Everyone is not a virgin. (laughs) No one is a virgin. That's Uh, for
1: sure. Not anymore. Not anymore. uh, There's something great as we go into the Valyrian wedding ceremony here. Um, there's a couple amazing things about it. First of all, that they created their own bit of lore. They created a lot of lore in this episode from the Valyrian wedding ceremony to the Valarian yeah. eulogy at the very front of the episode. So it's a very, it's great to have all of this Valyrian lore and to place it bookend like this. Uh, but they're wearing, their robes are actually designed to look almost like dragon tamer robes, which is great because it's the very embodiment of fire and blood. There's something interesting Damon says about the needing witnesses for Lana's death. Because when you open their wedding scene, you see in the corner, they have witnesses. They have Bela, Raina, Jace, so Luke, and the maester. They have a maester as well as their witnesses. It is a little, it's kind of fucked up, right? Because you're like traumatizing these children further. Yeah. Like they literally just laid aunt Lena slash mother Lena to bed, to rest in the water. Uh, which was beautiful and sad but like they just did it and now here you are forcing them to sit through this wedding actually and the other kids have not just one buried one. both
0: yeah the other kids you know her sons have just yeah. buried to an extent both their dads
1: it's very traumatizing and it almost reminds me a bit of the black wedding and how Reina like her whole goal was keep her daughters safe in a way but yet they brought them through the door you know like that was the most heart wrenching Guts out the stomach thing, but it's the opposite. Like these kids are standing there and they have to watch.
0: No. Of
1: course, the voiceover at this time, Rhaenyra says, I will not be a tyrant and rule through terror. And Damon says, A tyrant rules only through terror. <laughs> he says, If, right, okay, we get it, Damon. If the king isn't feared, he's powerless. If you are to be a strong queen, you must cultivate love and respect, yes, but your subjects must fear you. Mm. Me, Sansa Stark voice. Actually, Damon. <laughs> well actually that right there is that was pretty big and that they i mean they still kill someone as we're going to talk about here for Mm -hmm. this to all happen right like she still has a rando fucking murdered so laner can live but i do love that the way this is twisted and the way we get the reveal rhaenyra almost releases him right uh relieves him of his duty almost like When Jon Snow gets to fuck off of the Night's Watch in in the great hit TV show, A Game of Thrones, you know, he's relieved of his duties, and she relieves him of his
0: duties. I do think that's what it is, right? Because she's like, well, he did do his duty as best he could. Obviously, it wasn't good enough, and it was poor, but that was their agreement. They would do their duty, and they would choose happiness, and she's like... Alright, then, let us choose our happiness. Perhaps we can do both our duty and and happiness, especially on her end, right? In terms of the Targaryen looking ears, etc. I strongly think this is something that they discussed and agreed upon because I really do think the right right response to you deserve a husband is so do you. You know, Mm. he's lost a lot. You know, she's seeing that he's hurting. Uh, And they might not be like close, they clearly like butt heads, but. There's a love there that is a friendship. It, it Again, like we discussed it as being maybe kind of like roommates, but not in the joking way kind of roommates, so like actually roommates. And sometimes you'll butt heads when you're with someone like, even if you're friends and you live with each other, you know?
1: Absolutely. That is <laughs> you, I was like, with you've with been through roommate.
0: this. Yep. Yes. And you you set them free or you escape. You escape to the sea, Chloe, <laughs> from the roommates. <laughs> You just got to let him go. Yeah. <laughs> thankfully, you did not kill anyone for that.
1: <laughs> no, thankfully not. I did not. Uh, I, I have to say, I think I'm guessing Nauticast will discuss this. Because I've been discussing with Port Quentin. It is so brilliant that, I mean, this is very Davos, right? Mm. It's very much like Davos that, how do you think Leiner feels? I mean, he gets to go live his life, but some random guy... Some man's fake hands, butchered up to look like his own, are up there.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, poor Quentin also even pointed out the comparisons with Theon, right? Uh, Theon yes, and the Millers' boys, the boys standing in for Rickon and Bran. Which yeah, I don't expect
1: that to like bode well for. I mean, later has got to die. We're gonna yeah. see him die. I'm really sure of it. But which is horrible. We get to pause it for now, but it's not a good way to start your brand new. Reign as not a tyrant for murdering someone so your ex can be happy so you can marry your husband.
0: (laughs) Your husband, probably a bad way.
1: Yeah, yeah, your uncle. Sorry, I get that. My bad. My bad.
0: (laughs) No, it's not. And also, actually, now that I think about it, even like Jane West. No, Jane Poole. Sorry, we were talking about Harold Westerling earlier. Even Jane Poole standing in right for for Arya, and. You know, like who ends up suffering when the when the nobles, the high lords, play their Game of Thrones, right? Um, yeah. And you know, again, that idea of history does not remember blood; it remembers names, and it doesn't remember the blood then of the innocents who are who are lost, so that those with names can live lives that they want, that they can retain their power, and. You know, like, it's all these disposable bodies, and for, for Aegon, it's the maids, right? The maids who are constantly subjected to his harassment and, like, assault. Um, you know, who's going to care about these handmaids if he uses them to satisfy their desires? Same as, like, who will care uh, if Rhaenyra used this nameless servant's body to satisfy their own desires, and Laenor as well? It's
1: not the very last time. We'll see that happen during their reign together, I don't think, either.
0: It's very much, a, you know, the the blood dripping from Rainier's hand, but even like in the last episode, right after she gives birth, a trail of blood follows them. Yeah, I have to say, this is the
1: last episode. We get these wonderful child actors as the main child. Two episodes. They only got two episodes and they actually <laughs> stole my heart. So a big shout out to Ty Tennant, Aegon II, Evie Allen, Helena, Leo Ashton as Amond, Leo Hart, Joceris. Harvey Sadler as Luke, and of course Baby Joff, who's not named, but he's very small. <laughs> Shani Smethurst as Bela, and Eva Osei Gerning as Reyna. You all did an amazing job, and I hope you get to go on with some badass career stuff, right? Launching it with this is so fun. You
0: mm-hmm. guys were
1: great for our Children of the Dragon. And I look forward to see what they did with their careers. And I have to say, if you haven't watched the behind-the-scenes stuff, you need to, because Leo Ashton, who plays Amond. <laughs> He's so charming. S- simply has stolen my little heart. He's just a cutie pie, and he just made me laugh. And all the BTS stuff, so Same. highly recommend it. He's so weird. There's also just very. You could tell he went all out. He went all out.
0: Yeah. He there's he also like to. a scene where he's like yelling at Fabian like during the training guard scene. He's like, "You're ruining the shot." <laughs> and also like, I don't know. His his outfits are hilarious. Like, move over, Evil Kermit. He Damon should just be taking you know, fashion cues from his nephew. Leo ashen has got it. And he wears that
1: emerald great. He wears it great.
0: Yeah. Chloe, tell us about what happens next
1: week. All right. I watched the trailer at point five x so you <laughs> don't have to. Here's what's going to happen next week. We go back to King's Landing. Otto is the Hand ruling in the court, speaking with Viserys's name. Rhaenyra is a little doubtful of the High Tower reign in King's Landing. We get a shot that looks like Rhaenyra in Viserys' bedroom, and then cuts to someone picking up a pair of scissors, uh, also looking like it's in his bedroom. Then we have Rainy's in a room full of candles with a voiceover telling us Corliss is ill and Vaymond is there looking smug. Kristen trains with Aemond and the Targs. Rainy sits on the driftwood chair as Vaymond approaches it. We get the Valerian sons at Dragonstone with somebody near them that looks like they're wearing a strong outfit, Mm. interestingly enough, Uh, and they look very surprised at whatever entrance is happening. We get a little shot of Daemon taking an egg, I'm guessing for the babies, for Aegon, or for Viserys. We have Joceros and Aegon too, with some tensions and fighting going on, it looks like at the feast, the greens and black feast. Damon is once more in his kermit hoodie going to see miss aria she's oh. here she's back by the way Amazing. oh well i'm
0: glad about that i'm not glad about the. it's hoodie. only been like
1: 13 years jesus fucking christ Oh, that's so true it's been a longest time rhaenyra tells someone yeah rhaenyra tells someone that this is a trap aemond is being a total weirdo to his nephews per usual a fight breaks out with the targaryen boys and then otto ends this trailer and so does Vaemond, where Otto talks about war breaking out, and Vaemond walks into a yard looking warlike.
0: Well, he's probably not going to be feeling that way for long. Uh, <laughs> oh no!
1: I wish Otto... could take I wish- the tongue out of the guy, but not the guy out of the... Wait a second.
0: I wish we could take the tongue out of Otto. <sighs> <sighs> Me
1: too, man. Me too. But you know what? That's what happens when you try to get ahead.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh- uh, try to get ahead. Uh, 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 All right. Out. <laughs> uh, well, I'm ready to, you know, silence ourselves right now soon.
1: Oh, my God. We have become one, two, I should say, of the silent, silent ones there. Um, We apparently spoke treason, so we must now get our tongues ripped out until <laughs> <and kill laughs> next week when they grow back the fuck is going
0: on <laughs> uh yes until then of course you can find us and let us know what you think uh over on social media on twitter you can find us always in twitter.com slash girls canon that's c-a-n-o-n or you can find us uh, via email send us some thoughts you can email us at girls at gmail.com yeah, make sure you're subscribed to us so you can get a notification
1: whenever these come out on Tuesdays for the public. Check it out over at your favorite platform like iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, iHeartRadio, Audible,
0: Amazon, you name it, we're on there. Yes, and of course, you can always find us on Patreon, where we have these episodes as well as bonus episodes for patrons in the $5 tier and above. And this past month's was Mothers of the Dragon slash Most of the Dragon Part 2, Alisan. Yes,
1: look forward to next month, whatever it may be. Until then, you can also join the Thunder Tier for $10 and up, where you'll get access to weekly and monthly events like our Hot D discussions on Fridays 2 p.m. hosted by our friend Maddie, or our monthly brunch slash happy hour where we hang out and it is good, good, good. I love it. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. We'll be back next week for... Oh my god, Uh, it's what? It's The Lord of the Tides. It
0: is, it is. Oh, what an apt title. And yeah, we're here next week. You know, fire is a prison. Oh my god.
1: (laughs) Here for the old, the true, and the brave.
0: Goodbye. Goodbye.